Bring it in to the read option back, getting you ready for the NFL divisional round. And this is our two year anniversary, boys. The whole crowd is here. Two years since the official launch of the read option podcast. Where does the time go? Episode 172 and two years in uh, and to us dicking around into a microphone for a couple hours a few times a week uh sincerely though thank you to both you two for the time effort uh and sacrifice you guys have put into making this pod what it's become uh and shout out to most importantly our listeners and our fans and our and everyone who who takes the time out of their day to make us a part of their day and make us a part of their weekly routine uh i can't tell you how much it means to not just myself but obviously Vito and scott as well uh it I think we all would agree this this show has been a blessing in all of our lives as much as it, it can be tedious. And, and it, it obviously is another thing that we have to add on doing. But uh, two years of this, uh, almost the 200 episodes, we'll get to that mark uh, right around March Madness, like we did our, for our one year anniversary. There will be another champagne pop at that point. Um, but just objectively, it's really cool. Um, 172 episodes, two years. Uh, and a lot's changed and a lot's happened since then. So uh, thank you to everybody for listening. And how the hell are you, boys? Anything you want to say two years in? I, I yeah, just want to say a cotton anniversary. Right. It's it's the year of uh, of cotton for the anniversary gift. So what would you guys get? Me? Uh, you know, I, I was thinking, Scott, I don't want to burden you with material possessions. It just seems wrong That's, in this you know, enlightened yeah, world right. that we live in. I don't want to put you in that that category. So no love Nothing. and attention. My <laughs> gift for you is love, 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 and, and emotional support. Um, and and I and I promise to not break one of your windows with a golf ball this year. Oh, because that happened in much year appreciate two. it. Year two of the pod, <laughs> that is something that I did. Uh, but hey, you know we grow, we learn, just like the pod. Uh, just slowly, slowly over time. Um, but yeah, so I look, I'm not, I don't want to, I mean, I want to give you a chance, Vito. Yeah. Anything you want to add to? No, one thing I would just say is dude, like we, especially me coming on and off and I, I love doing this and obviously with travel and work, sometimes it gets but, like, you know, it butts in the way, but, um, dude, Jeff, you hold this thing together. You're the string line throughout every episode and, and, uh, uh, life, life is better with Jeff Gimple in it. And I'm very glad that you do the pod. And that you're with us, and dude, just keep doing your thing. You're fucking great at this, and we love doing it with you. You're you're the reason yeah, why man. this is still going. 174 episodes in, two years later. So thank you, Jeff. I can't tell you how many people just randomly um, that I interact with on sometimes on a daily basis that are like, "Hey, that episode of the podcast was was great." Or they'll bring up something that you or Jeff or me or Vito said uh, on the podcast, and I'm like, "Oh, you guys." listen religiously man so like yeah, it, it all starts it, yeah, it all no, starts it with uh with you and, and your vision man so like i appreciate being a part of it and i love uh i love when i hear all that stuff from from outside listeners being like hey man your opinion sucks yeah. <laughs> i i right it's actually great and i was with my brother-in-law 
a week ago in Utah, Jeff, we're skiing down the hill and he was literally like, when are we going to go golfing with Jeff and Scotty? And I was like, I love how he talks about you guys. Like he knows you and everything. Cause obviously he's a listener and it's just so funny, right? How relationships are built with us and we love building them back, but all of the, this spider web, right? The middle of it is Jeff Gimple. So thank you. I, I that's incredibly kind and, and I appreciate it. But again, you know, it, it, it's it, none of it happens without you guys. None of it happens without the people who sacrifice the time to listen and sacrifice sounds like they're like doing us a favor. I mean, people <laughs> what, what the cool thing is, is like, that's how it always feels to me. Right. Anytime I talk to somebody, anytime somebody reaches out, same thing, you guys, where you have that reaction where they they feel like they're listening to the pod, the, the pod. It does feel like somebody's doing me a favor. They're like, oh, this sweet little kid, he, you know, he's got a podcast. Let's go help this guy out. You know, he. but yeah. it's it, what's cool is that people genuinely do enjoy it, you know, and and ultimately, like, that's what we're here to do. Yeah. It um, makes know, it more than just a microphone and a dream, you know? <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. It, it does feel real, but it also feels it's this like imposter syndrome kind of shit that goes on. Um, so we, we obviously love hearing it and we get a lot of satisfaction and joy out of it, but nothing's cooler than hearing people really, really enjoy it. And, and I know Scott and Vito and you, you, you both have guys who, who reach out and, and people, you know, and it, it, my mom listens to every episode. So sometimes like, man, is my mom the other one out there listening to this? And, and I love you, mom. And thank you for the support. But it is really cool when, you know, when, when I look down and like the third most popular region of people that listen to us is in Belgium, you know, and like, like <laughs> people across the Atlantic and all over the place who, who genuinely love to listen to us and, and have found us through various ways. It's, it's very cool. And, and Vito, thank you again for the kind words. It's nice. But um, you know, I, I started this as obviously it's like, it's like my name's attached to it, but I've said this forever. And when we talked about like how we wanted to handle the DeMar Hamlin situation, like it's always a, we, it's always an us thing. Like if Vito, when you're working and you miss a couple months or whatever, and you hop back, that doesn't make you any less a part of it. It really is. I view it as our thing that we do together. I just, you know, press the buttons and, and, you know, cut it up and, and drive the ship a little bit. So it really is all of us. And again, thank you to everyone out there who's been with us for two years. It's, it really is crazy. Um, wow, shit. Two years, boys? Come on. Two years. Two years. It's awesome, man. Uh, and so with all that being said, again, thank you to everybody. But you don't tune in to hear us, you know, mm-hmm. you know, celebrate and brag about two years. You tune in to us to listen to us pretend like we know anything about football. So let's do that because we have the arguably best weekend of football of the year this weekend. Uh, I, I would say hand like – First up, I think the divisional round of the NFL playoffs is my favorite weekend of the NFL calendar. I think it's my favorite weekend of the football calendar across the board, except for maybe like week one in college football, just because you're so excited to have football back and the NFL hasn't fully come back yet. But in terms of high quality, it's the best teams. You have eight teams left. And at this point, like there's still so many different potential outcomes to who is going to be in the AFC NFC championship games. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Who is the best team, right? There's where so, will they be? <laughs> where Where is it going to end up yeah. being, right? Yeah, like it, yeah. <laughs> it really does feel like across the board, and particularly you look at the AFC, the AFC feels super close. You look at the NFC, and it's like Dallas just looked really, really good, but are they going to lay a stinker this week? The Eagles have been the best team in the NFL all year, and yet they're fourth in Super Bowl odds right now. So, it, you know, the Giants looking like world beaters, but you look at some of their recent history – 
in, in the last couple of months. And yeah, they've played great, but look who they've played, right? And there's so many different things. The Jags coming off of one of the best comebacks in NFL history. Like there's so much that is uncertain and you have eight really, really good teams, four really good matchups, divisional drama. There's a whole lot to get to. Uh, and I can't think of anything else. And I also have uh, a little end of uh, the NFL season surprise for you two that we're going to end end the show with. So everyone stay tuned for that. You think you guys are going to enjoy it? Uh, a little quick thing at the end. So with all that being said, let's start. 4.30 NBC, 4.30 Eastern time. We have the Jacksonville Jaguars coming to Kansas City to try to pull off another AFC West upset Uh, opening line right now, Kansas city, eight and a half point favorite. That line has gone down a little bit. I believe it opened at nine and a half has gone down to eight and a half, 10, um, nine and a half to 10, depending on where you've seen it, it's moved down now to eight and a half. There's some public money on Jacksonville. We tend to know that the way I kind of want to do this here, boys, since we do only Mm -hmm. have four games, I think, the best way to preview this is to look at it from both sides of the ball from both situations, right? So we have Jacksonville offense going up against Kansas City, Kansas City offense going up against this Jacksonville defense. So let's start with this Jaguars offense going up against the Kansas City team. Steve Spagnola, yet another playoff run for him. It feels like he's been doing this for decades because he he pretty much has been doing this for at, at minimum 15 years going back to those early Giants teams, the 2007 Giants, right? Uh, we're looking at a, a, a second-year quarterback who we said throughout most of the year was basically a rookie going up against a, an experienced Kansas City team, but also a Kansas City team that has holes on it on the defensive side of the ball. That entire defensive line starts with Chris Jones. The secondary has weaknesses in it, including starting a, a, a rookie cornerback out there. Uh, and this Jacksonville team that I've been saying now for a few weeks, it's kind of hard to predict because they have pretty solid talent across the board. There isn't a single person that you have to be like, hey, we need to X out Travis Kelsey. Our whole defense is going to focus on this one player this week. There's no one like that on this Jacksonville team. So looking at that side of the ball for both of these teams, Vito, we'll start with you. Where does your eye go first? What's the most important matchup? What sticks out to you when talking about that side of the ball? And what does Jacksonville have to do to give themselves a chance offensively? I think it all comes down to the line. I mean, if you look last week, right, Trevor Lawrence had the ability to throw in the second half. That offensive line outperformed what they're probably, I would say, let's just say average grade was across the, the whole year. They played out of their mind. I think it's going to be a lot harder with Chris Jones, like you said, right? I mean, listen, Jacksonville's not the most potent offense, but we've seen a streak that's happened, you know, recently. But, I mean, listen, Kansas City, in terms of power rankings and metrics, their defense isn't as bad as people probably think. And PFF has them rated pretty high. What I will say is that it seems like Kansas City um, has the ability to get the passer and obvious passing downs, right? But what's going to happen on first and second? That's where Jaguars need to focus on first down. You know, Etienne looked good. I think he's the perfect kind of back to go against Kansas City. But they have fat, you know, they have, they have a let's say fast, smaller linebackers. I like the size of their corners. But at the same time, you know, you said talked about Spagnoli. This this defense is going to be ready. Can the Jags just win in the trenches? Can they just win in the trenches or keep up enough? I mean, that that was the difference I think last week. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, Cam, I mean, that, that whole offensive line, they gave up only two sacks against uh, the, the Los Angeles Chargers, Nick Bosa, mm-hmm. Khalil Mack, those are Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, those guys. Uh, and, and Chris Jones obviously is going to be a completely different um, it, it's a different formula to right to try to slow down the pass rush against on the Kansas, interior yeah. Kansas City because you're getting it through the interior but you also have guys like George Karloftis the rookie yeah. out of Purdue who's yeah, been he's playing come on man. and he's been playing really good here over the I last mean, couple of weeks he had uh, six four, sacks over the last four weeks. Yeah. Thank and, you. Yeah. And, it, and it's important to remember, like, that's what Steve Spagnola defenses do as, as the season progresses, they tend to get better. However, it, if you look back on the last, you know, what, six weeks of the Kansas city Chiefs schedule uh, and, and the games they played, like they end up going one in or five and one to close out the regular season. Uh, they had that loss to Cincinnati, but then it was the Denver Broncos who put up 28 points the Houston Texans who put up 24, they did a good job of closing out Seattle. And then it was 24 again from Denver, right? The defense hasn't played that great all year. And typically with Spagnola, it's December into January is when those defenses start to kind of lock up. I'll also say this, there are going to be legitimate opportunities for Jacksonville to push the ball downfield. But the first time these two teams played, Remember, that's when Doug Peterson opened up the game with the onside kick. I think I forget what week it was. I think it was like week nine, week 10 of the regular season. about that. Great Doug call. Peterson opens up with the onside kick. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. That was a close game most of the way, too. It was. And it was that was kind of right before Jacksonville went on their run where they really started playing high efficient uh, football, uh, particularly in the offensive side. Travis Etienne hadn't really come on. That was a couple weeks after the James Robinson trade. Uh, Travis Etienne really struggled in pass protection there, which for Kansas City, they were able to put pressure on Trevor Lawrence. But when you go back and watch, and I went back and watched, kind of like rewatched some of the game, I didn't watch the whole thing, but there were a lot of easy throws, a lot of short check down throws, five, seven yards over the middle. Um, a lot of stuff that they've been doing to get Evan Ingram involved over the last, you know, eight weeks, Jacksonville, that Trevor Lawrence wasn't taking advantage of. He was trying to force the ball, push the ball downfield. And one of the things I think Trevor Lawrence has done a much better job of, and the numbers bear that out over the last two months of the season, is that Trevor Lawrence is taking much more of what the defense gives him. One of the things we saw that he struggled with in the first half against Los Angeles was that he wasn't doing that. He was trying to force the ball in the places he didn't have. He was trying to do too much. So, so much of this is going to be how much can Trevor Lawrence play within himself, take what the defense is giving you, and then when you get your deep threats with Christian Kirk, with Zay Jones, that you know, pick and choose your opportunities to let it rip because we're talking about a Jacksonville team that I think has to play pretty, pretty much damn near perfectly to beat Kansas City. We talked about it earlier in the week with Josh Allen and turning the ball over a bunch, right? And and if he does that against better teams, he's not going to be able to win. It's the same thing with Trevor Lawrence here. If he does the same thing that he did last week, and I'm not saying four interceptions in the first half necessarily, (laughs) but if he's he's careless with the ball, if he's forcing things into windows that aren't necessarily there, they're not going to have a chance to come back in this game like they did against the Chargers. They have to play really spot on, and so much of that is going to come from Trevor Lawrence staying within himself, working the ball in the pocket, and then on those play play action shots, let him rip it then. I'm with you. I think it's there to be had for the Jacksonville offense, right? This Chiefs pass pass and rush defense, uh, well, the rush defense has been pretty good. 
so far, especially with Chris Jones uh, on the interior, but they give up 107 yards on the ground on average over the year, but they've been over the at home, which is where the, they'll be playing this game. They give up 121 curiously. So I think you're right, Vito. I think Travis Etienne is the guy that they can utilize in that way. Like you said, Jeff, check downs out of the backfield, stuff like that. And for as good as that, that rush defense is Kansas city's pass defense, 76% of the scores that they give up to opposing teams are from the passing game. So I think when you talk about weapons like Evan Ingram, like Zay Jones, like, uh, Christian Kirk, like Marvin Harrison Jr., who got a touchdown the other night too. I, I think it's there to be had for the offense, man. But would you say Marvin Harrison kids, Jr.? Uh, Marvin Jones Jr. I'm sorry, yeah, I, was, I, I got uh, the draft on the brain. Too. Like, yeah. like, no, he still has another year of eligibility. He, he I got the draft on the brain. Yeah, oh, geez. Um, so, so I think you're right, guys. It's, I think it's there to be had for the offense uh, for Jacksonville. I, I think it comes down to Jacksonville's defensive line being able to get into the interior and force Patrick Mahomes to, to make really odd throws and odd decisions because they have two of the, they have the top uh, rush rush defense win rate in, uh, in Joe Tooney and the, and the top pass defense win rate in, uh, in Creed Humphrey as their center. So I think if they can get in the face of Patrick Mahomes a little bit, I think that's where, where the, the difference is going to lie. Cause I think on offense, I, the Jaguars are great. It's going to be right there for them. Well, and again, and them being great offensively comes back to Trevor Lawrence. The other thing, too, is they have a lot of really good athletes, right? Like, they just have unique body types. Like, even Evan Ingram, who started off his career as a little bit of a disappointment, is a freak athlete. Like, that was kind of the big selling point from him coming out of Alabama was this dude is built like a wide receiver. He was kind of like Kyle Pitts before Kyle Pitts. And he just was never able to get kind of put it together in Minnesota He's now had a second chance at life. He's had a second chance of being a really high quality player here with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And just look at, I mean, his numbers over the last few weeks, it's like back to back hundred yard games for him. Uh, I think he's had three 100 yard games in his last five. He's playing really, really good football right now. Uh, and, and he's going to be a tough matchup problem, but all of that's to say between him uh, Travis Etienne, Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, Jr. Zay Jones, all these guys are really explosive athletes and the one thing is if they can get the ball to these guys in space, uh, Kansas City is one of the worst tackling teams in the NFL. They have a really tough time with making big-time tackles, particularly in space. Uh, I believe right now they're 17th in the NFL, uh, according to PFF, when it comes to their tackling uh, grade. So they don't do a good job of getting guys to the turf. And I also want to say this, too. like This was always the time of the year. Over, the, over this Kansas City Chiefs run for the last five, six seasons since Mahomes has been there, that having Tyron Matthew in the back end of that secondary, this is these were the moments he stepped up, right? He wasn't graded out always as the number one safety in football through the course of the regular season, but the amount of times he would make big-time plays when they absolutely needed it and being the heartbeat of that defense, it kind of feels like the heartbeat of the defense right now is Chris Jones, which isn't to say that's a bad thing. He, he's going to be able to open things up for George Karloftis and other guys on that defensive line to go and make plays because he has been that dominant. I mean, he, in my opinion, I think he's one of the top three or four interior defensive linemen in all yeah. of football. But and not PFF having is number one, to your point. There you go. I think that favors uh, Trevor Lawrence, though, because he has the ability to get out of the pocket, and that's when he's best. I mean, I mean, again, but all of that is like, yeah, he, 
Chris Jones is going to end up getting double teamed a lot in the interior, right? Which is going to allow one-on-one matchups for George Karloftis. So it may not necessarily mean that there's going to be breakdowns on the interior, you know, uh, Bruce Irvin's there too. Like, it's not going to be like, Oh, we have breakdowns on the interior defensive, our offensive line where all of a sudden the pockets getting collapsed and that forces Trevor Lawrence out. It's going to be more, Hey, we have to devote multiple resources to stopping Chris Jones, which is going to give one-on-one opportunities for pass rushers coming from the outside. But I say all this is that I think not having a Tyron Matthew and not really having a a trustworthy replacement for him is something that we've never seen Kansas City in this iteration of them operate without a guy like that who's just a flat-out playmaker in the backfield. And it's not something I've heard a lot of attention being brought up. It's a good point because, like, we always compare him to Bob Sanders, who, right, if you remember Bob Sanders, he made those incredible – he made the the, uh, Colts defense. He's the only reason – they, they won a Super Bowl, in my opinion. Peyton was always there. Peyton was always great. The difference was the defense stepped up that year. And Bob Sanders uh, tackled really well in the playoffs. He came all the way down, made incredible picks. And to your point, it's for Tyron Matthew. He lived for the playoffs, man. He was Mr. Uh, January, I guess is what you would say. And, and he went off. And now they don't have – not only do they not get a replacement for him, they're not a good pass defense. And in addition to all of this stuff, like – we still haven't seen on the, you know, and I know we're getting to the flip side here in a minute, but on the flip side, I think you're not seeing as big of wins and losses throughout the lineup as you'd like to see like Jags. I think, again, if they win the offensive line, I think they're going to have some, some, some luck here and some, some good graces on the offensive side, but you're playing Kansas city. And this is going to be a game where I think you take the over. And I also think that uh, we're going to see a lot of points. I, I think I, I don't think so. Well, because for me, like all the stats I listed out on defense, Kansas City for for as good as they are in the interior, that that last game that they played in the regular season, right before Jacksonville got hot, as you said, Jeff, they, Jacksonville was able to move the ball and 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 dominate the time of possession for for most of the game. They're able to do that again. I think they're in good shape. Kansas City's a bottom four red zone defense, like period, point blank. They score, uh, they let teams score on them in the red zone. So. If Jacksonville can do the same thing and move the ball again, I, you know, that that's going to be a a, a real tr- uh, pain point for for Kansas City too. I, I but I you're right; it, they are playing Patrick Mahomes <laughs> for sure. And, and if it's a shootout, then obviously I think all of us would agree. If there's one team that you're going to favor here, you're going to favor Kansas City because it's Patrick Mahomes. So that's why I think when it comes down to this side of the ball for both teams, yeah, Trevor Lawrence has to be good out of the gates. They have to be firing right off the get off the gut. And, and most importantly, Doug Peterson and, and knowing Doug, this is going to be what he does, but Doug is going to have to get this team like tuned up and know the correct times to take risks because they're not going to win this game without risk. They're not going to win this game. They're just not like, no matter how we can talk for days about what the analytics say and no Tyron Matthew and all this other stuff, Kansas city is the better football team. Kansas City has better talent across the board. Kansas City has the best player in the NFL in Patrick Mahomes. The only way that Jacksonville has a chance to win this game, and honestly, I think the only way they have a chance to stay close in this game, is if Doug Peterson schemes up some crazy shit and Trevor Lawrence is on it, crisp, clean, from the second the first snap drops. If there's a single mistake here or there, I mean, I think I really do think Jacksonville has to play a perfect football game. Um Public money right now is all over Jacksonville, which I also think is a big reason why I'm kind of fading the public here. 
because I, I love this Jacksonville team, but we also, as a society, as football fans and, and as a football community, we get sucked into crazy storylines, whatever happened the week before. And particularly, and this is the same case with the Eagles on uh, the NFC side with only having one team, not play, uh, get the bye week and not play in the wild card round. It's almost like we forget, like we forget very quickly. And then all of a sudden you start to overthink it and you start to kind of talk yourself into, Oh, well, you know what? Like there's very clearly one team here that's better, but we all kind of talk ourselves into this idea that, Actually, well, I don't know, Jacksonville, they could move the ball. They could kind of do this. You know, the Chargers played really tough against Kansas City all year. Maybe the Jags can do it too. I'm not saying the Jags can't cover. I'm just saying maybe we shouldn't overthink it either. Uh, Let's talk about the other side of it, because obviously we know Patrick Mahomes. You know what Patrick Mahomes is capable of. Um, And this Jaguars defense has kind of been up and down. Um, They're top 10 in run defense. Uh, We know that they're able to pressure the ball pretty well. Uh, though their pressure numbers would probably surprise you a little bit uh, comparatively. Um, Number six in pass rush win rate rate right now as a team, one of the best uh, pass rushing teams. They're 14th overall in total defense. Um, And I, I, again, this is going to be one of those games where you have to ask your best players, Josh Allen, right? Um, Even, even someone like Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd, right? Your, your two rookie first round picks. Uh, Trayvon Walker has been kind of a no-show here for the last six or seven weeks. He's one of those dudes who's a freak athlete, but he's definitely still really raw. Uh, if you kind of isolate some of his film, he does a really good job of slamming into the guy in front of him, and then that's about it. Uh, he's not getting a lot of push on the defensive line, and you kind of need him to be more of like a Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Like if this Jacksonville team had Kayvon Thibodeau on the other side, uh, you know, or going, Aiden. yeah, or, or, or <laughs> Aiden Hutchinson, right? <laughs> yeah. if, you, if, if you had either one of those guys, uh, opposite Josh Allen right now, I think you probably feel better about your chances of generating pressure just because Trayvon hasn't been that great. Uh, and the biggest weakness of this Jacksonville team all year has been the secondary. The secondary has been a massive disappointment and you're going up against the, one of the best quarterbacks, most talented quarterback, arguably that we've ever seen in the history of the NFL. And, and not speed. to mention, well, and not to mention specifically, they're 28th in the league against tight ends. You're going up against Kelsey, bro. Like, I don't care what you say right now, but Mahomes and Kelsey, Kelsey has, a, you know, I, I love the Kelsey bros, but especially, listen, Travis has, uh, it's a much more, I would say, uh, it's a different position and, and the hits he's taken and also like how much volume he gets, right? We forget he he's hitting reception numbers like high tar- like Mar- like Marvin Harrison back in the day. You know what I mean? He's getting over 100 consistently. And like the thing about him is I think he's going to get the ball 8 to 10 times this game and he's going to have a field day against some of these linebackers, you know, Lloyd out there. I mean, I, I know they've had a, a couple okay um I shouldn't say okay. They've had some good games out of uh uh Foyase Oluicon. I I can't say his name great. Number 23 though on his, on the defense. The big out. He says yeah, dude, he's had some good coverage, honestly, but at the same time. So I think you're going to see a lot of that matchup, but he doesn't have the height. He does not have the height to deal with Travis Kelsey. And to me, like when you look at this game, it's like Kelsey. And and if it comes down to a guy and he's one of the best players, literally rated number one in tight end and PFF and probably number one in a lot of other categories, whatever you want to look up, you're trusting that. All time. And so to your point, Jeff, know. well, to your point, Jeff, like, if, if you're going to feed, like, yeah, maybe Jacksonville has some chances to keep it close. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people are betting on Jacksonville because they're like, oh, we keep it within a touchdown, right? Until it gets to seven and a half, I think we'll see it. Money Sam Jacksonville. But on that side of the ball, man, Mahomes over to Kelsey is going to be an absolute nightmare for this Jaguars defense. And if you can't stop that, you can't stop the Chiefs. Yeah, I think there's going to be a, a good deal of, of letting that happen, knowing that that if, if you can't contain that, fine. Let's use Devin Lloyd elsewhere. Uh, and be able to, to stuff the run because the way they've used Isaiah Pacheco and Jarrett McKinnon out of the out of the backfield is in the passing game. Yeah, if you can if you can cut that off and, and force Mahomes to be able to have to rely on Travis Kelsey or the deep ball to MVS or Kadarius Tony, then it becomes a different ball game. Yeah, I I just because there's nothing there's no one on this on this team. To your point, Vito, there's no one on this team that can handle Travis Kelsey. And the biggest cheat code of it all is Patrick Mahomes. Like, we, we've learned it now. Like, even just Juju. Like, having Juju Smith-Schuster, right? And then they go out and get Kadarius Tony, And, you know, McCall Hardman's ruled out of this game. Um, but those three right there, that's enough to get it to you. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, who's come on as, like, one of the best passers, you know, re- receiving backs in all the NFL. But he have, like, five consecutive games of the receiving touchdown. Um, yeah, because teams are just flat out selling out. There's just there is no answer right now to Patrick Mahomes. The only times we've really seen Patrick Mahomes, and the thing is too, it's like we can go back to because I feel like <clears throat> with Mahomes, we still think he's like so young, right? Mahomes is 27, right? Mahomes has been in the league. Oof. This is this Mahomes has been in the league for a minute now. All right, he's seen more. He's he's played in massive games. This is already his fifth divisional round. This is his fifth run through the playoffs. I saw a stat earlier that he needs like, I think it's like 100 yards and uh, I think one more touchdown. He moves to top 10 all time in in, uh, playoff receipt or passing yards. I believe it. He would pass Kurt. He would pass Kurt Warner at age at age 27, which because Kurt Warner was the one that tweeted it out and retweeted it. And he was like, I was 28 when I made my first NFL start. <laughs> and Mahomes is True. 27, about to break his playoff passing record already. Like Mahomes has played a lot of big time football. He's learned. He's not just the flashy guy who makes the crazy plays. He's smart. I, at this point, I don't think there's any way you stop Mahomes. I, I really don't. The only way you do is you, do, you, you play him in a shootout like we saw last year against Buffalo. And if you're lucky, you get the ball last. And for as much as I like Jacksonville, and I think Jacksonville has it on offense against this Kansas City defense to put up some points, Jacksonville just has to hold on and hope that you get lucky, right? And hope that you can generate enough pressure. But that offensive line is the second best offensive line in football. The only offensive line that's better is Phillies. Uh, It's going to be really difficult for Jacksonville to generate any sort of pressure. And they know that they don't have the horses in the back end of their defense to keep up no matter what you do. You can play soft zone. You can play cover six. You can play Tampa two. You can do whatever the hell you want. Patrick Mahomes is going to make you pay for it. Cause even if you play perfect coverage, what is the most dangerous thing about Patrick Mahomes when he tucks it down and runs for 15 yards and slides, because he has the capability of doing that. And if he does go out and scramble, there's going to be somebody who breaks off Travis Kelsey and him. We know what it's like when they start playing backyard football, uh, they're just they're impossible to defend and i love this jacksonville team i just don't see a world where they're able to keep this close 
to your point, those two got like Mahomes and Kelsey have played together longer than most of this Jacksonville Jaguars team has been in Jacksonville. So yep. like just talk about camaraderie. And most of them have played in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, that's a good point too. It's a young team. I, I will say a couple statistics here in terms of betting Jacksonville's nine, nine against the spread. The chiefs are six and 11. So I think you're going to see that favoring again until it gets to seven points. Also, this is a Saturday game. And after last week's comeback, we all know that Trevor Lawrence is undefeated on Saturdays in his life. But Mahomes has gone to the AFC championship of every single season he started, which is one of the most ridiculous stats I've ever seen. So you have one of the most legendary streaks going to end. Is Trevor Lawrence's Saturday streak going to end or is Mahomes AFC championship streak going to end? One of them has to. And it's not going to be Patrick Mahomes. It's just, <laughs> it's, so. it's just not like, I think right now the question is, is can Jacksonville keep this close enough to cover the eight and a half points, which to your point, Vito, right. And this is something I brought up a few times throughout the season is it really has felt like Kansas city has been in cruise control. It felt like Kansas city is, has been waiting to turn it on. And normally when you say that about an NFL team, you go, Oh, that's a bad idea. Right. Don't, don't act. And same thing in the NBA. Don't pretend that like, once you get to the playoffs, you can just flip the switch and turn it on. If there's one professional sports team that I actually believe that is capable of doing that, it's Andy Reid and it's Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they they were – think about this, right? Like that ring around the rosy play they had against the Raiders in week 18, like they were just fucking around at this point. Like, like they don't need to be doing anything crazy and they can still win games and yet they're still experimenting and trying different shit. Like that, that to them is like playing – and the crazy thing is too is like, it's not like the one seed was completely locked up for them when they were doing some of this. And yet they still treated the last four or five weeks of the season as like a sandbox, right? Yeah. Where they were able to sit in there and play. Now you can look at the Cincinnati game and you can say, all right, well, there's definitely like reasons to suggest that a good quarterback and a good offense and a defense who can make opportunistic plays can make that happen. And Jacksonville, to their credit, has been a defense that's done that, right? They got in a shootout with Dallas. They went to overtime and they made an opportunistic play and they took it back and they won the game on the pick six. Like Jacksonville has done that for the majority of the season. The game against Tennessee to get them in the playoffs, right? It was the fumble recovery for the touchdown. It was all the strips, all that stuff, all factors into this. And yet I'm still not going against the Kansas City Chiefs. There's, there's nothing in my brain and my brain. And the crazy, the craziest thing is too, is I think Kansas city has been the least talked about one seed that I can remember in recent history in the NFL. They feel like we, when Miami, the Miami heat were the one seed in the NBA a couple of years ago. And we're like, Oh yeah, I guess Miami is the one seed. All right. That's crazy. Because, but in that context, it's like, yeah, because Miami's not making it to the finals. We all knew that in this context, it's like, Oh yeah, Kansas city, they're going to end up in the AFC championship game again. We can pick them up there. You know, and that's, and that's kind of what it is. It is. It's, it's, it's different because it's a foregone conclusion. I remember when the Tennessee Titans were the number one, one seed and we were like, all right, they got, they got Henry and they're playing well. Yeah. Like, last, good defense. Last year, yeah. Nothing's changed yeah. in three years. Okay. <laughs> well, it's just funny. Right. Because like it does flip fast, but I feel like they were also not talked about. I feel like this team's not talked about because we expect so much to your point. The Titans were different because we didn't talk about them because we were like, they run the ball well, and, and Tannehill's good, but can he beat an elite team? 
and you know in and a they very beat the different Chiefs. way. Yeah, well, and you know that the Chiefs are an elite team and can go do this. So it's totally different. Kansas City feels like that, like that movie that would get played on like TNT, like Godfather, like the Godfather, like one of those movies that like you could like you'd be scrolling through the guide and you'd be like, oh, I come on to watch that, and it's like halfway through. And you're just like, oh, I'll pick it up here. You're like, I don't need to watch the whole thing. Right. Like that's that's a Kansas City Chiefs season yeah. every year. It's like I just want to watch this like the last <laughs> the last scene, like the last thirty to, minutes of this movie is amazing. That's kind of where I'm ready to pick it up from every time you to, watch Kansas City. To your point too, I think the difference is you can put them in any seat in the in the AFC playoffs and be like, yeah, the same result. We did this with the Warriors last year, where everyone was like, oh, they're the two seed. Um, I don't know, like. I'm not going to worry about them until they get to the conference finals, which they did, and then went. Yeah, kept winning. So, hundred uh, percent. I think I think you could put them in the three, the four, the five, whatever. Uh, especially if they have home field advantage, which they seem to always do. Like it's you can put them wherever you want, and they're and they're going to keep doing the same thing. Absolutely. We see them um, wherever we want. Yeah. Uh, and so let's with that. I think we're all we're all on the same page. I think we all think Kansas is going to win this game. But the question, bearing in mind, we always pick against the spread here. Kansas City minus eight and a half. Who do you got? Jacksonville. We need some Duval. I'm having them cover. I think they'll keep it close. And uh, that's about it. It's not going to, they're not going to win. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andy Reid, look, we all know the record off of buys, but let's talk about the last three seasons, right? Uh, in the regular season, after a buy, the Chiefs are one and two against the spread, one and two on the over. 3-0 and straight up. In the postseason, when they've been the one seed and they have uh, played in the divisional round after a bye, 1-1 one and one against the spread, 0-2 oh on the over. So don't take the over, as you said, Vito. And 2-0 and uh, straight up. I, I think that that all sounds great, and they, everything we've, we just talked about is great. Do the Chiefs, I think, ultimately win the game? Maybe. The numbers suggest that they do based on straight-up numbers. But Kansas City this year is 2-4-1. and one against the spread as home favorites with an average margin of victory of a touchdown in those two wins. So I'm pulling for you guys, Will. I'm pulling for you guys. Let's send it. Duval, where are you at? The Jags cover. Not only that, the Jags cover, and they win outright. That's called, uh, that's called biting on the cheese there, Scotty. That's called recency bias. But you know what? I love it. I love it. And... Uh, this is great because uh, Vito has Jacksonville covering the spread and Kansas City winning. I'm taking Kansas City against the spread. All right. Uh, Will and Mike, our new friends who are Jacksonville fans, appreciate you guys listening to the pod. It's a hell of a run from Jacksonville. And y'all got a super bright future and you have a whole lot to get excited for. And you know what? I would love to see Jacksonville come out and absolutely like take it to Kansas City, like, an instant classic to kick off the divisional weekend. It's not going to happen. It's just not. This team is too good. It's Patrick Mahomes. I know the spread numbers. I know what Kansas City's like against the spread. Public money has been all over Jacksonville. Recency bias out the out the wazoo. Uh, I think this is Kansas City comfortably. Uh, the over under is at fifty two and a half, which is a really high line. Um, but we know what Steve Spagnola defenses do, despite no Tyron Matthew. Um, and, and kind of the weaknesses we point out with Kansas City. I think Trevor Lawrence makes a couple mistakes. And not to mention, they got to go play in Arrowhead, which is one of the top two or three hardest places to play in the NFL. And I and like I love Trevor Lawrence. 
He didn't play in the SEC. He didn't go play in, in the actual Death Valley in Louisiana. He didn't go play in Jordan Hare. He played in the ACC, and I'm sorry, ACC crowds. Yeah, Mahomes are, played the Big 12, and what? <laughs> what? What I'm saying is this is actually, I think, going to shell shock a little bit for, for uh, Trevor Lawrence. He was the one that always had the fan support in big games when Clemson was rolling. Playing in Kansas City is going to be tough. First game of the weekend. I know the Saturday streak is awesome. It's not going to continue. Kansas City wins and rolls by at least 10. I'm taking the Chiefs. All right. One last note on this. The Jaguars now, since 2017, Nick Calcaterra, our friend of the pod, listener all the time, sent me this. Since 2017, the Jacksonville Jaguars have won three playoff games. That's true. That's more than 21 other franchises, including Green Bay, Dallas, Minnesota, L.A., Chargers, uh, you know, Seattle, the Colts, like all, all of these. It's wild as hell that they've Pittsburgh. had. Well, and, and not to mention, they've had two number one picks in between those two years. So they've gone up, down, and back up again. And uh, good for the franchise for turning it around. What I'll say is, hey, Blake Bortles isn't walking through that door. Okay. No, but no, he's, he's got not. two of those wins, two of he those does. three. <laughs> that, that he does. That he does. The boat. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Saturday night, the G men rolling into Lincoln Financial Field, taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, all right. I'm just going to, we're just going to go off here for a second. I want to do the same thing, but I just, let me get a little bit of fan thoughts out first. I'm nervous, boys. I'm yeah. nervous. Oh, uh, why? Uh, I'm nervous because uh, we're Phil- we're from Philadelphia. F- Philadelphians mm. don't we don't get nice things, right? Um, we can have the best record in the NFL. We can have the best offense, top five offense, top five defense, um, and yet we could also lose in our very first game this year in the postseason because that's what happens. Um, superstition side, like removed, there is no reason to believe that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to lose this football game. None, zero. Significantly more talent, equally as good of coaching, in my opinion, minus Jonathan Gannon. Uh, and yet, it's a divisional game, right? And if you if we go, you know, remove the logos, remove the names, remove everything, and it's just player X versus player Y, team X versus team Y, how do they line up? I am through the roof excited that we're playing the New York Giants. But that's not how football works. And one of the things I loved about Doug Peterson in the run to the Super Bowl was he talked about this every week. It's a faceless opponent, right? It didn't matter who you were playing. It didn't matter what logo was on the side of the helmet. You were playing a faceless opponent every single week. And that's how that team bought in. And I love Sirianni, and I love the way he gets his team kind of locked in. And I love this Eagles team. But there are some legitimate concerns Despite the talent gap uh, and the gap at really important positions that I'm worried about. Uh, The main two worries are how healthy are Jalen Hurts and Lane Johnson, right? You can make an argument that those are two of the most, Jalen being the most important and and Lane Johnson being one of the top two or three most important players in the entire roster. Uh, From everything we've seen, both have been practicing. Jalen Hurts full participate in practice off the injury report entirely. That doesn't tell us everything, 
right? He can get taken off the injury report and be a full go. That doesn't we we don't know. The only person's gonna who's gonna know is Jalen, and even Jalen won't know until he walks out into the field on Saturday night. Uh, in addition to that, I don't trust Jonathan Gannon as far as I can throw him. I don't care what the advanced <laughs> numbers say. I I just don't. I know what I see with my eyes. I know how lucky that they they get on certain drives, and I know how much his players and the talent on the Eagles defense has bailed them out. But if you can go up and you play this soft zone, this soft as baby shit zone, seven yards off like the Minnesota Vikings did last week and got absolutely torched by Danny Dimes, the same thing's going to happen. Dak Prescott did the exact same thing four weeks ago on Christmas Eve. I have, I'm worried. I am worried. And I'm, I'm struggling to determine whether or not it is my irrational Philly negativity or whether it is actually genuine. So I need both of you to walk me off the ledge or push me further on the ledge. I know where Scotty's going to push me uh, to make that. Feel- <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> to, uh, to, to help me try to rationalize what we're going to see on Saturday night. I think what you, you're not taking into account, you're, you're pointing out the few weaknesses that Philly has. And you're not pointing out any of the weaknesses that the Giants have because you're a fan and you're looking at it very much like what's the worst case scenario. You're from mm-hmm. Philly. I know enough of you guys by now. And let me tell you about what's going to make the difference in this entire game. And, and if you don't mind, can we start with the Giants offense versus the Eagles defense Let's in, do it. in this round? Because what I'm seeing is that you have one of, I think one of the coolest matchups we'll see is Andrew Thomas at left tackle for the Giants. Um, who's had an incredible season. He's done really well, but the unfortunate job for him is he's going up against Josh Sweat. And on the other side, who has just come back from injury and he's been a full yes. participant in practice, which is a miracle. Totally. And on the other side, you have Evan O'Neill, right? Who has not done a great run blocker. He's notoriously bad in pass, pass blocking in situations like that um, this year. Uh, obviously he's a rookie, but he has to go up against one of the greatest defensive players this year in Hassan Reddick. So at what point, like on this defensive side for the Eagles, like you, yes, you might, you know, you can challenge the zone or should we play man or how deep should we drop all that stuff. But if you can generate pressure with your front four, you're, you're probably going to be okay. Right. I mean, that's just how it is. So to me, I think they're going to get a lot of pressure off both sides. It's can, is Daniel Jones going to rush the ball for 17 times again, like he did last week. What's Saquon's involvement? He only had nine carries. Left. Like what's going to happen with, with the backfield here? Because I don't think they're going to be able to do a lot of play action. I think just your front four naturally will get in. So on this side of the ball, can Daniel Jones play almost like Brock Purdy, almost like someone who's just going to release the ball every three to five seconds, like in his drop in rhythm. And that hasn't been his game so far, right? He's ran the ball a lot. He's scrambled. And I think that actually bodes well for the Eagles because I think your ends are so much different than a lot of the teams that the Giants will face, most teams in the NFL, those ends I think are going to make or break this defensive side. And uh, I'm extremely excited to see what happens on the left again. Uh, you know, a great matchup on both sides. And then on the right side of, of the Giants line, Kevin O'Neill is going to get uh, his hands worth. And do they keep a tight end to help, right? Do they, do they limit how many people are going out because of how much he's being dominated by Hassan Riddick? Well, and, and there's a lot of truth to that, right? Uh, last time they played Josh Sweat, uh, or I should say the first time they played uh, mm. and the Eagles blow out against, what was it 48 to 22? Uh, Josh Sweat absolutely dominated Andrew Thomas. Hassan Reddick destroyed Evan Neal. Uh, Javon Hardgrave. I mean, you got to remember too, this Eagles team had f- his first team in NFL history with four players with 
double digit sacks in the same season. <laughs> so it's Javon Hardgrave, Brandon Graham, the highest sack total in his career at 34, coming off of an Achilles tear last year. Uh, Hassan Reddick, who should be the runner up for defensive player of the year after Nick Bosa uh, and should be ahead of Micah Parsons. And then, yeah, Josh Sweat, him coming back is great. I think they're, they're probably going to slow Josh Sweat's return a little bit, as they should, given the nature of that injury. But He's been a full participant in practice. He's been looking really explosive, and he's definitely going to get probably 20 to 30 snaps in this game. Uh, The big concern for me is, look, the Eagles, if there's one weakness on this defense, it's been stopping the run. They've struggled with it. We saw what happened when Jordan Davis went out, right? And Jordan Davis, his snap count has gone lower and lower. They went out and they get Linval Joseph and they get Ndamukong Sue, and those guys help. Um, And I think that they can. I I will say that. I I do think that they can stop this run. But Saquon is one of those special backs. Um, And and my biggest fear, honestly, Vito, is Daniel Jones running the ball. What happens on third and eight, right? I mean, and I'll say this too. The the Giants are last in the league on pass rush rush win-loss rate for the offensive line. they give up more sacks and and have basically the worst protection on first down of any team in the NFL this offseason or this season, right? But that third down, those crucial third downs have been where this Eagles defense has led up because they play that soft zone and they try to keep everything in front of it. And for as good as TJ Edwards and Kazir White played through the first, you know, half of the season, they've fallen off a little bit. And, and TJ Edwards is a, still really good. Kazir White still can make plays. But it's going to be what can you can you contain Daniel Jones on third down? I mean, Daniel Jones is 6'5, 220. He's a big dude. He's fast as hell. He's hard to bring down. And the only guy really who can trace him down and tackle him in the open field from that linebacker position is and even behind that is going to be TJ Edwards. So the Eagles, I think if there's one player that you need to play that needs to play absurdly well in this game, it is TJ Edwards. Um I do think the Eagles are going to win this game. Like I I want to preface it with that. Right. And and all fandom aside, it it just is the obvious choice here. The Eagles are really good. And and my doubts are coming from being a fan, but removing that. Yeah. The Eagles should win this game. They are, they are the better football team. I just, I, I, I sit back and I think about the way that the giants were able to move the ball. And I think a lot of people look at that and they say, oh, man, if they were able to move the ball against Minnesota like that, what are they going to do against Philly? Philly's defense is, is a lot better than that. Not a, not a comparison, dude. <laughs> it's, it's not even close. However, Jonathan Gannon, to me, is probably the second most, if not the most important person to focus on in this game because you have to come out and play press man. You have a, a, an all-pro cornerback in James Bradbury and Darius Slay, who's a pro bowler. So you have an all-pro and a pro bowler starting at your two corner spots. Mike Epps has played really well. They uh, Since C.J. Gardner-Johnson came back, they've been playing him as the nickel corner where he played in New Orleans, and they've been keeping Reed Blankenship at the other safety position, and that actually helps them a lot um, with Avante Maddox being out and most likely done for the rest of the season. So that's a nice balance, and C.J. Gardner-Johnson is going to help lock down any sort of passing game. But it's that scrambling with with Daniel Jones. And my honestly, I feel like the Giants offense is going to try to make this game as ugly as hell. Right. The more ugly, nasty, gross football that you can play, the better, because the Eagles want to try to force turnovers. They want to try to give you sacks. They want to try to to really kind of just intimidate you to the point where your offense isn't doing anything uh, and keep everything in front of them. 
But if the Giants are able to make it and kind of ugly the whole thing up, I think they have a chance to actually put up some points in this game. Yeah, I, and I'm with you. I think it comes from the Giants' run game. The Giants rank seventh in expected points, uh, expected points per handoff and in DVOA in a game where an explosive play from Saquon or, or Daniel Jones could make a huge difference, flip the game on its head even uh, in, in some cases. And they're going up against an Eagles defense that while they're getting healthier, while they have depth, they finished, and for as good as they were in the beginning of the season, finished dead middle of the pack against the run, 121 per game and 124 uh, yards, rushing yards per game allowed over the last three. And they're middle of the pack as a red zone defense, which we saw the Giants able to move the ball and get into the red zone uh, against against the Vikings defense as well. So uh, I think it's going to be tougher on them, but I think if they can get that run game going, man, it's it's going to be closer, I think, than a lot of people think. I think there's a good chance of that too. I, I, I do. And I also want to, you know, Again, I think Vito hit it on the head. The Eagles defensive line is going to be able to generate pressure with four guys, right? That rotation of defensive linemen is going to be able to get after the quarterback. It's going to be able to hopefully stop the run. Uh, and then it's going to fall on Kazir White and TJ Edwards to fly around, make plays, bring down Saquon, bring down Danny Dimes, limit him. I mean, if, if it, A, if you're able to get to Danny Dimes, that's going to be the best chance you have to force him to turn the ball over because he hasn't been turning the ball over this year. So, you have to force him to be uncomfortable. You have to force him on these kind of delayed level blitzes, right? And, and, and sending pressure into a direction that's going to force him to be in a certain spot where you have that secondary blitzer kind of getting a free shot at him. Um, and, and I always hate when, because a lot of, if you played like middle school or high school football and you're, you know, in your mid twenties now or, or older, you're going to see whenever a quarterback scrambles to the outside, oh, who had contain on that play, right? Where's quarterback <laughs> contain? NFL defenses don't operate that way, right? Like contain is such an antiquated style of thinking when it comes to football. Whatever you did in your high school team is not the same thing. There is somebody who is responsible for not letting the quarterback get outside, but it's not as basic as, oh, you played a four, you know, a, a forefront, right? A four, yeah, three just on your high school linebacker team. on him. Yeah. And you had a defensive end who was supposed to set the edge and create the pocket. And if he got outside of it, oh, he blew contain. That's not how the NFL works. Don't be that guy. Uh, but they're going to have to keep an eye on that. They're going to, I'm not saying spy Danny dimes. Cause I don't think he's that big of a threat, but he ran for 80 yards last week. Like you have to, that, that is what happens And teams time after time this year have not prepared seemingly for Daniel Jones ability to run and escape the pocket. And we saw it in week 18 with the Eagles starting defense, forcing Davis Webb to scramble around like crazy and Davis Webb, avoided sacks but he also wasn't as good of an athlete as as daniel jones is and daniel jones will take those scrambles and turn them into positive plays and if enough of those add up that will help this giants offense move the ball downfield you just have to make sure it doesn't happen on third down um let's switch and talk about the other side of the ball eagles offense going up against the giants defense the giants defense has a lot more healthy pieces back and a lot more uh, the players that were there are playing a lot better than they did in week 14 when the Eagles blew them out, right? Most notably, Dexter Lawrence and uh, Kayvon Thibodeau on the defensive line, right? And when we saw Dexter Lawrence play over 50 snaps last week and make Garrett Bradbury's life a living hell, who was a good center but was banged up just coming off of the injury report, the IR uh, injury reserve, and, and clearly was not 100%, and Dexter Lawrence made his life an absolute, like, hell in the interior. 
it's going to be a lot harder for them to do that this week because the Eagles have the best interior offensive line in all of football. You're going up against Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, Isaac Samalu, three really, really, really good interior offensive linemen. I don't think you have to worry about that. The bigger question to me is, does Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari, who is got banged up in the Minnesota game, is expected to play, but is not going to be 100%. Where do those two guys line up, right? Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau has spent a lot of time lining up on the right side. He's also switched over and played on the left side. If he's one-on-one with Lane, with Lane Johnson, who might be a little banged up, that could be one way. Or do you think you have a better shot? Because the guys that Jordan Malata has struggled with on the left side of the offensive line have been those really quick, twitchy, fast, explosive, bender kind of guys. And that's exactly what Kayvon Thibodeau is. So do you line him <laughs> up against Jordan Malata and force him that way? The other thing here from the Giants side, Wink Martindale, right? He blitzed. 35 times against the Eagles in, in the first time that they played. Uh, Jalen Hurts has gotten significantly better against the Blitz this year than he did last year. He went from being one of the worst NFL court quarterbacks against the Blitz to about middle of the pack. I think he ranked 16th against the Blitz so far in the uh, this, this season. Uh, the bigger thing is they did that, and it didn't work. And Jalen torched him, and, and Miles Sanders torched him, and Jalen got into space and broke off runs. And he hit guys for deep plays. We know that when it's running correctly, there is no way to stop this Eagles offense, right? You play single high safety, you're going to get beat one-on-one on the outside with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. You play too high, you leave a big wide open middle that either A.J. is going to – or that either Jalen's going to run up and take the 10, 15 yards every single time, or he's going to be able to hit Dallas Goddard over the middle. The pieces that the Eagles offense have make it virtually impossible to defend. They run that little slide, re- that little slide option play that Jalen Hurts is an absolute artist to defend. Is there enough talent and having uh, uh, the cornerback for the Giants, whose name is escaping me? Xavier um, McKinney. Xavier McKinney, thank you. Having Kenny back, having a Dory Jackson back, is that going to be enough to give the Giants a chance here? Um but then also the question comes back to Jalen Hurts' health. If Jalen Hurts is 100%, I don't think it matters. But if Jalen Hurts is 75%, I think it matters. Well, I think, I think there's two things there. One, what, uh, from the cornerback standpoint, what I think we, we saw that was sort of a recipe for success uh, over the course of the season was being able to stuff just, Justin Jefferson at the line of scrimmage and get in his head, which is exactly what the Giants did last week. Thankfully, with the with the help of Xavier McKinney back, I don't think you're going to have that opportunity against the Eagles wide receivers because they're more physical at the line of scrimmage, including skinny legs, skinny arms, Devontae Smith. But either way, uh, you're not going to win that battle against A.J. Brown. So one of those guys is going to be open. Plus, you got Dallas Goddard as well. Um, so I don't think that's that's the answer. And then, you know, if you if you want to talk about blitzing the last two times the the Eagles played uh, after a bye, let's go back to 2021. They played Washington. 127 to 17. Uh, uh, that was a push there uh, on the spread, but uh, they then this year was the 35 13 win against Pittsburgh. Both are huge blitzing defenses, right? And so if you get Jalen out in space, he's able to, or against the blitz, he's able to not only use his arm, we've seen him do that very, very effectively this year uh, with his arm, but the danger is him running against the blitz off, off of a read option. If they can tip off of that, it's it's game over and it's going to end real quick. It's going to get real early, real, real quick for that defense. 
Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I don't think the the corners will have as much success. I think it's they're going to make life tougher for guys like Devonte Smith uh, and, and Quez Watkins, but I, I, there's no physical battle you're going to win against AJ Brown at the line of scrimmage. To me, I think I agree with what you're saying, Scotty. And to me, I'm going to focus back on the line here because when you're talking about two NFC East teams, divisional game in the playoffs, it a lot of times comes down to the trenches, right? These guys know each other. They hate each other. It's a good time down there in the NFC East. But what when you're talking about Thibodeau and where he lines up, I think what's unique about Philly is they run a lot of two tight end, three tight end sets, even with their boy Grant Calcaterra. But uh, at least in the two tight end set, no matter which side he lines up at, I bet you he gets help on the chip. Because I think you're going to have a lot of confidence in those middle three, to your point, Jeff, handling Dexter Lawrence, who's been an absolute beast in the middle. So, and, then, put, and handle, then putting a tight end there to block one of the ends because they've been yeah. super effective blocking. I mean, Grant's one of the, the best blocking tight ends in the league statistically. Yeah, especially on pass blocking, which is hilarious kind of. I don't know, like the fact that the tight end is so good at pass blocking. But um, anyway, when you look at this team on the line, I think the Eagles have the perfect line to counteract what's going on on the Giants if they bring blitzes. Now, if I'm the Giants, I'm looking to stunt a lot of Lawrence and Thibodeau and trying to do things to confuse them. But the problem is you're going up against a very experienced offensive line too. That like I don't I don't have any doubt that Kelsey will get them lined up and know exactly what to do in each of these situations. You know, Hertz is the same way. They have leadership in the right places. So I think that's what's going to make the difference here is that they're not going to make the mental errors that the Giants will, which will result in a penalty here or there and a first down here or there and a touchdown at least once in the game. And, and I really have a lot of confidence in this Eagles offense. Uh, I know, again, as a fan, Jeff, it's probably hard for you to see. I'm not just blowing smoke. I think this offense is the real deal. And especially against this defense, I think they match up extremely well. I mean, and, and I agree. Like, there's there's no statistical argument. There's nothing on the tape, anything that tells you that this offense isn't arguably the best offense in the NFL. I mean, you could put up a couple ones. You could say San Francisco the last seven weeks or six weeks. You, you could say Miami. You could say Kansas City. Like, there's plenty of other options. Buffalo. But – I think this is the hardest team to defend in the NFL because of what Jalen offers you. But again, that comes down to what is Jalen, how healthy is Jalen, right? Is Jalen going to be willing to take hits? Is Jalen going to be willing to, to, to run? And if there's one thing I know about Jalen and obviously the way that they kind of, they played such a vanilla style of offense. Like it really looked like a preseason game with the way that they ran their offense in week 18 with him. Uh, and, and just the way he was handling it, trying not to get hurt, trying to make sure no matter what happened, he wasn't landing on that throwing shoulder again. I think he's healthier than people are leading on. That's my gut instinct. Um, you know, Nick Sirianni said it earlier in the season, like he's he's not human. Like the way he recovers from injuries is not human. Uh, and I think people are kind of forgetting that a little bit, mainly because yeah, I think people, but it was still are, people are concerned, right? People just don't want to see – 75% Jalen Hurts. They want to see the guy who was the leading candidate in the MVP race before he got hurt. Um, and I think, too, with Jalen, he remembers what happened in Tampa Bay last year. And this is the thing where it's like you, you can't measure this. There's no stat for any of this. This is just – which goes back to when we had this conversation in the offseason about Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow, right? Do you believe in the person, not just the quarterback, not just the talent? Do you believe in the person? There are very few players in all of sports that I believe in as a person as, as much as I believe in Jalen Hurts. I also have to kind of preface that with saying 
historically going back to last year's playoffs and then going back to his college career, Jalen didn't always play the best in big time games. His best performance and most crucial performance was in the SEC championship game when he went in for two after Tua got hurt. Right. And he, he got that Alabama team to the college football playoff. He won that SEC championship game single-handedly, but he also wasn't the starter and he kind of got thrown into it. And it was a lot of just him willing it himself. That being said, I think Jalen Hurts is going to stop at nothing to win this game. And I think he's going to stop at nothing to make sure that this team finds its way into the Super Bowl and to win a championship. And I think he's a lot healthier than, than other people probably think. Well, and I think the buy helps for two reasons. One, not only did you get the buy and give him an extra week of rest, but two, he's able to, to regain that confidence he, that he had, uh, which for, for a guy like him is a, is a shorter leash too. In those wins I talked about against the spread uh, over the past three years after a bye week, Hertz has gone off. Like he's got two eighty five and and uh, seven, or sorry, two eighty five in each game, and then seven total touchdowns. So I mean, he's the key. One hundred percent. I mean, he's the key for this entire team, not just from an on the field standpoint, but off the field. Like this entire locker room rides with Jalen Hurts and what he says and what he does. And I think because we didn't see, we haven't seen this Eagles offense really click since that Bears game when Jalen got hurt because it was two weeks of Gardner Minshew and then week 18, which was kind of, it was like 50% of Jalen Hurts. I think everyone's kind of forgotten how ridiculous this offense can be when he's healthy. And one other caveat here with this offense for the Eagles and, and this matchup in particular, the Giants are 31 of 32 teams when it comes to guarding the tight end position. And Dallas Goddard didn't play in the game in week 14. He was hurt when the Eagles won by 26 points. And now you're adding Dallas Goddard, who has been one of the number one, probably number two target after AJ Brown for, and definitely the safety blanket for Jay Jalen hurts. I, I don't see a world where the giants are able to slow down this offense. The only thing that happens is if the giants are able to have two or three plays, right? Dexter Lawrence doesn't have to be dominant for 30 plays. He needs like two. He needs two plays where he causes a massive mistake for the Eagles. Wink Martindale, same thing like I was saying with uh, it's how a lot of teams battle Lamar too. these delayed blitzes where the first guy forces the quarterback to roll to his right or to roll to a specific spot. And then you have a secondary player come in at the last second. But Jalen's so good at making people miss. And he's also been so good about getting the ball out at the right time. I, I feel very confident the Eagles are going to win this football game. Um, but the question is by how much, and that brings us to what the spread is at right now and what our picks are going to be against it right now. The Eagles are at minus seven and a half at home and never forget how insane Lincoln financial field gets during playoff games. I'll be there. You're going to be at the game. I will be at the game. Oh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> you better, you better bring them good luck. Uh, I hope Scotty, so. I haven't, I haven't seen them lose. Yeah, it's true. You haven't seen them lose. Knock on wood. Um, uh, Scotty, we'll start with you. Eagles minus seven and a half against the Giants. What's your pick? I, th I think this is going to be razor thin. I really think this is going to be a closer game than a lot of people think. The Giants are 7-1 as road dogs this season with an average point cover of five. I mean, we're talking razor thin with, with the seven and a half point total. So I'm going to take uh, the Eagles to win, but I'll take the Giants to cover. I'm going to play the numbers here. So, Scotty, to back up what you're saying, the Giants are 14 and four against the spread this year. Eagles are eight and nine. 
Don't care. Don't give a shit. I'm going with Philly. I'm going with the Eagles to absolutely blow them out. Why not? This is the game Jalen Hurts puts a stamp on the NFL and says, no, I'm here to play and I'm here to stay. You, and he's going to go. Don't off. you come in here with that shit, boy. <laughs> <laughs> to wrap up, I'm going to give a few. I'm going to give a few facts here for you boys. The team remaining in the postseason with the worst record against teams over 500, the New York Giants. The team with the best record against teams over 500, the Philadelphia Eagles at 7-1. and one. The team with, remaining with the worst record against playoff teams, the New York Giants, 1-5 going into this, uh, not including the wild card. Right. The team with the best record against playoff teams, the Philadelphia Eagles at four and one. We're riding with the birds, minus seven and a half, a blowout in the link. Dreams and nightmares is going to be playing before the game. <laughs> As Chris Long said, anybody could have come in and gotten it that night like they did against the Minnesota Vikings in 2017. Fly, Eagles, fly, go. Go, birds. birds. Go, birds. <laughs> All right. One of the that, best videos out there. That gives us to our Saturday picks. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We will hit Cincinnati, Buffalo, Dallas, San Francisco, and our bonus surprise uh, here at the end of the pod. Don't get too excited. It's not that exciting, but it will be fun to roll through. We'll be right back after this. All right. Sunday's games kicking off. Uh, what time is that first game? I think it's like, what, one o'clock? Three o'clock. It's Three o'clock. Yeah. Eastern time. Bengals, Bills. I like it. They start the games a little bit earlier on that Sunday. It gets nice because that means that, you know, us East Coasters get a chance to uh, to go to bed at a reasonable hour on Sunday night. Yeah. Very such a, dude, seriously, it's such a great reminder of, like, if you're on the West Coast, listen, you're spoiled with the, the game times. They never get to enjoy game day. They don't get to watch the Premier League. They have their own disadvantages. But, damn it, nah, would it be see, nice that's why, after a game you could go to bed? That's why, like, Chicago – like central time is is the optimal one because you can still get up early enough. You can get up at 6 a.m. and watch the Premier League if you want. You know, you, you kind of get a little bit of everything. You can still get up at 8 a.m. and watch the uh, mm-hmm. watch college game day. You still get a little bit of everything out there. It's, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, all right. We got Cincinnati, Buffalo, 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon Pacific in Orchard Park. Uh, we talked about it a little bit, you know, the whole idea of, man, this game probably should have been a neutral field, too. I kind of hate that they didn't bake that into it. Um, but that being said, Cincinnati's got a chance to go and continue to do what they always seemingly do in the postseason, which is win close games out of nowhere. Uh, but it's going to be a tougher challenge. And I, I want to start this one talking about the Bengals offense against this Bills defense. Because, um, boys, I'll be honest, for as much as I love Joe Burrow, and you know me, I love Joe Burrow as much as anybody. He is like my my favorite non-Philadelphia Eagle in all of the NFL. Cincinnati's in some trouble this week. They're down both starting tackles and their best offensive guard in Alex Kappa. And uh, between uh, Jonah Williams, Laramie Tunsil, and Alex Kappa, those are their best three offensive linemen. And the backups have been rough, to put it mildly. Now, credit where credit's due. They came in after Jonah Williams got hurt and uh, Alex Kappa not playing last week. And they handled a really, really good, arguably the best defense in the NFL with the Baltimore Ravens. They handled them pretty well. And they were still able to put up 24 points. However, 
It was actually only 17 points because 24 of the seven of those points came on a Sam Hubbard 99 uh, yard return from the opposite goal line. So 17 points against one of the best defenses. They're playing Buffalo, who is not one of the best defenses, uh, but does have a really, really good pass rush. So, so for me, as every playoff matchup ultimately comes to, and we say it and we say it before week one every single year, we love the flashy new additions. We love the quarterbacks and the wide receivers and the tight ends and the running backs and all that stuff. But we all know where NFL games are one loss and it's at the line of scrimmage. That's where my attention is for this game, particularly Cincinnati's offense and Buffalo's defense. Where is it for both of you? For me, it's it's actually at like I'm usually that way, which is funny, Jeff, because now I'm actually looking at the matchups between their wide receivers and their corners. Um Right now you have, you know, Chase Higgins and Boyd. They're all, they're, they're great receivers. Just talent-wise, the way they get separation, route running, catching, everything. And Burrow is obviously a top three quarterback in the NFL. And you throw in Mixon, you can get some draws. To your point, the tackles in the right guard are, are a worry, uh, an extreme worry. Like they're not even ranked in a lot of ranking systems in any system because they haven't played enough snaps. And if they, if you do say ignore snap minimum, they're way below 50 and that's not 50% is average. They're not good on tradition. And last week they had a good week. So they actually brought those averages up to your point, Jeff. So it, it's not going to probably be good on there. And especially when you have Roussel on the edge, I wish this bills team had Von Miller just so he could have a field day. Uh, I think we'd all enjoy seeing him play against this team, but on the outside, when you look at, um, you know, white Jackson and Johnson on the defensive side as the corners for probably he's going to line up for the bills. And again, you're going against Jamar Chase, T Higgins and Boyd. It's going to be a, a really hard matchup for them to win. And we all know against Joe Burrow, you're on zone. He's going to figure it out. You, you know, unless again, you get pressure. So uh, what I'm going to look for is, is this the time the bills actually switch and bring a lot of heat and try and get some stuff going to try and disrupt Joe Burrow. But I don't know if that works. I don't know if anything works against this guy. So I have no idea what the Bills are going to do. But in my opinion, it's about how they match up on the outside. And are they going to give a lot of support out there? Are they going to, you know, double some like chase a couple times, two safeties over the top? What are you going to do on the defensive side? Or are you going to line up in a lot of man and then blitz and try and make Burrow make mistakes? Either way you go, it's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, I, dude, I'm Vito. I'm so with you, man. This is this is all I had in my notes is is <laughs> the, the matchups at, at wide receiver on both sides, really. Um, but but the look, the Bills only gave up 30 points one time this season. Once. And the week after they played the Browns and, and still gave up 20 plus. So they gave up 31 think, to, to Skylar Thompson literally six days ago. That's what I mean. So they're playing the week after they gave up 30 points this week and i don't think they're going to tighten up uh as they did in the previous time that they gave up 30 the week after they gave up 30 points especially with and you talk about matchups on the outside the secondary is already thin jordan poyer banged up his knee pretty good in, in that in that miami game so uh, that's even less help and you're and you're walking into a matchup with joey b jamar chase t higgins tyler boyd and the boys the bills allow 62% of their opponent's scores through the air that ranks 24th in the NFL. I think this is a huge day through the air for, for the Bengals. And I, and I think they take advantage of that, whether or not they're blitzing. I, look, as you said, Vito, even if they do that, I think Joey Burrow has enough. Uh, he's shown enough in, in his running game this year and his scramble game this year to be able to 
to to beat that. So I think that's a huge advantage for for Cincinnati. I think <clears throat> offensively, Cincinnati is going to struggle in this game. I think offensively, I think Buffalo is going to struggle in this game, but for very different reasons. And we'll get to the other side of the ball here in a second. Uh, it cannot be understated how important it is to be down your three best offensive linemen. Yeah. All right. Like, like I know, like we can talk about Jamar Chase. We can talk about Joe Burrow. We can talk about anybody. doesn't matter how good you are. If your offense, if your offensive line isn't good, it is so fucking hard to win in the postseason. Like, and, and that's full stop. Like there is no, Oh, but or, no, it doesn't matter. I don't even, know. even, even with Joe Burrow, even with Jamar chase, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's really, really hard to do. And Jamar chase, like the other thing is too, is in Joe Burrow's done a really good job of fixing it this year, but going into the season, Joe Burrow was one of the worst quarterbacks facing pressure last year. He had one of the longest release times from, from snap to reception in the NFL against pressure because he held onto the ball for so long. He got sacked. Like we, we trashed the Bengals offensive line last year and a lot of other things because of, Oh, well, Joe Burrow keeps getting sacks. A lot of those were on Joe Burrow too. And credit to Joe Burrow for making more like massive adjustments. And, and which is something that's usually really difficult to do in order to, to make those adjustments this young in his career to get the ball out that much faster. But he's, everything's going to have to be like within three seconds because he's not going to have time. And now look if Von Miller's in this game. That would have been even worse for them, but you're still, but even still, you're still going up against Gregory Russo. You're still going up against Ed Oliver and Shaq Lawson and Daquan Jones. You're still going to have blitzes coming off the edge from Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. I there, there's going to be a ton of pressure. And cause look, Buffalo knows what they're getting in. Like Buffalo knows that they're what they have. They, they, these guys smell the blood in the water going up against three different backups. Um, the offensive lineman uh, was Jackson Carmen, the backup. I'm uh, sorry, no, Max Sharping, the backup for Alex Kappa was like one of the lowest graded offensive linemen in the history of PFF last week. <laughs> like that, that is hard to do. And now you're going up against Ed Oliver on the interior and look, Jonah Williams, Alex Kappa, they're both listed as questionable. Um, Leo Collins, he's on IR. He's likely – he's done for the season. So you're dealing with minimum, and, and if anyone were to play, it's more likely that Jonah Williams, which would be huge for them. But, I mean, the traditional backup for uh, Jonah Williams is Hakeem, uh, Hakeem Angelili. He's already starting at right tackle for Leo Collins. So they're going to have to slide their backup left guard, Jackson Carmen, to left tackle to play. So they're on their essentially third string left tackle. Uh, that's going to yeah. be a problem. And for as much as I love Joe Burrow, and again, I'm the number one Joe Burrow stand on this pod. I've fought you guys tooth and nail on that. I think that makes it incredibly difficult to do. Now, are there ways to combat that? Sure. But Cincinnati has not been running the ball super well. That last week, they had less than 100 yards total rushing against Baltimore. I don't know how they're going to be able to move the ball here. And that's goes with saying Buffalo's defense has shown signs of weaknesses. I just think the offensive line is going to be such a significant problem that I don't know how Cincinnati overcomes it. What do you think the emotion level being um, that it's Buffalo and Cincinnati again, what we, when these two teams are last on the field, what do you think the emotion level plays into, into this game? I think that's an excellent question, Scotty, because I'm telling you right now, and I, I'm not the only person who's predicted this. 
Demar Hamlin's going to be on the field before kickoff. Oh, he's yeah. And yeah. oh, uh, well, then I, that's I, a game changer. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, no, that's not confirmed by any means. No, but I. It, I think he could have done it last of the week. The injury, yeah, he could have. And there was physically. a report. There was a report from Schefter this week that Demar Hamlin's been in the uh, in the stadium and has been at the facilities every single day for like seven straight days. Like mm. he and I don't know if you guys caught on uh, NFL Countdown last week. They did a really, really, really cool piece about the uh, Marv Levy's old saying that he he said that's like I didn't even know this. It's like the rallying cry for Buffalo, and they always have a former player before big games come out and say it. But it's Marv Levy used to say this during those '90s Bills runs. He said, "Where else would you rather be than right here, right now?" And so before the games, they have a former player come out with a microphone in front of the whole stadium and go, where else would you rather be than right here, right now? And the whole stadium in unison all does it together. If DeMar Hamlin is there before kickoff and drops that line, it's bills by a million. I, I, don't, I don't care what anybody – it's bills by a million. And I, I just – the energy in Buffalo – the emotions running through the crowd. And I'm sure Cincinnati's going to have a bunch of it too. It's just going to be, I think that's going to be the toughest atmosphere to play this weekend. And that's including a playoff game in Lincoln financial field and Arrowhead stadium, which are the two loudest places to play in the NFL. No, I mean, I, I agree. I think the only thing I'm going to add from, from this matchup side from the Bengals and Titans on uh, Bengals on offense is that remember a year ago, in the yeah. divisional round, this is when the Bengals – this is when Joe Burrow sacked nine times against the Titans. Uh, it's when – but you got to remember on the other side, the Titans gave that game away. I mean, they sh- the Bengals' defense shut down Derrick Henry and Tannehill threw three picks. So, you're not going to have that out of, out of – uh, you know, you're not going to have the same thing out of the Bills' offense. Obviously, Josh Allen's going to, I believe, go off. He, he didn't even play his best game last week. I think he's going to improve from last week. And we'll get to that side here in a second. But I, I, I to your just point, say. Joe Burrow has been sacked a ton in playoffs and still won games, but he's needed the defense a lot. That was a 19 to 16 game. You're not holding the Bills tonight to 16 points. So the Bengals, in my opinion, are going to put up like 30 at least to be in this one. Well, I'm glad you said that, Vito, because that's a perfect transition to talk about the other side here, which is the Bills offense against the Cincinnati defense because – Josh Allen has not been playing particularly good football for a while. Not to say that it's not electric, not to say that he saying he has been playing good football. Yeah. He's he's still number one in PFF, but he's been making a lot of mistakes. He and Mina Kimes said it best on her podcast this week. He went into that game against Miami, like as if he was Skylar Thompson, as if he was the 14 point underdog going into that game. And he needs to play like the dude who knows he's the MVP to take the simple check downs to, to take the stuff that's wide open over the middle, instead of trying to force a deep ball, that's going to be an impossible catch and is a much higher risk for an interception than the wide open guy, 10 yards over the middle. That'll get you the first down. Josh Allen needs to tone it all back. And with the high energy here and knowing what you just said, Vito, that this defense for Cincinnati is incredibly opportunistic. They're healthy along the entire off uh, defensive line. Sam Hubbard, DJ Reader, BJ Hill, Trey Hendrickson. That's a really, really good defensive line. Now, on the other side, the Bills' offensive line is also completely healthy. 
st- all the starters are in, they have a chance if Cincinnati can capitalize on that overly excited, like, like I feel like when Josh Allen plays, he's he's going back to like young Josh Allen that it looked like he had the zoomies all the time where he's just running around like kind of crazy <laughs> and like kind of shaking and he would just rip these 60 yard bombs. And yeah, it's exciting. But is that does that translate to winning football? My bold pick for this whole weekend. I think we hit the under in this game. Oh, so 50 and a half. It's at four on the according to DraftKings right now, which is what ESPN uses. It's at 48 and a half. Oh, I think we hit the under in this game. I think the offense for Cincinnati is going to have a lot of trouble moving the ball. And I think that Cincinnati's defense, who's been playing really, really well, is going to be able and coupled with Josh Allen struggling with just not turning the ball over is going to force us into a lower scoring game than people think. 100%, dude, because the offense for Cincinnati is not the only thing that's made them uh, not lose since Halloween, right? This defense is sixth in expected points allowed per play during that streak. So, uh, and a lot of it is the defensive line. A lot of it is, is uh, you know, a lot of, of how they played last year and their their defensive coordinator, Lou Anaromo, uh, who, who had them peaking at the right time. Uh, like this beast, is exactly man. what happened last year, right? Uh, is is that defense got hot at the right time. And I think, I, I think you're going to see a lot of that uh, continue through this this run that they make to the Super Bowl when they play the Niners. Totally unrelated here. Um, the Bengals defensive coordinator, what was his name? Lou. I always fuck up his last name. Emma. Emma Rallo. Emma Rumo. He looks just like that guy who used to work for Fox news. Shepard. Something was it? Shepard Smith. What's his name? Do you know the guy I'm talking Sterling, about? Sterling Shepard. Not Sterling Shepard. No. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, it's, oh, it's yeah, not for Fox news. <laughs> it, uh, there's going to be people here who are going to be like yelling in their cars, being like, it's Shepard, yeah. whatever. Just we're going to look it up. He looks like they look like they could be brothers. It's the craziest thing ever. Again, totally irrelevant to the rest of the conversation. It's just I had I was like, I watched that game. I watched Cincinnati's game last week and I was like, who does he look like? It's driving me yeah. nuts. And then literally on my ride home from work today, it clicked in my head. And I was like, oh, that guy. He doesn't work for Fox News anymore. He used to. Um, for the record, I don't watch Fox News. I just know who that guy and, is. Okay. So, and, and the other thing too is like these sure. two. When you look at at, <laughs> at their total total defense and like red zone defense, they're almost, they're like neck and neck, especially in red zone defense, right? Uh, but but I don't, I think you can throw that out because like these are two teams that aren't going to be like our goal is to get to the red zone so that we can execute uh, this game plan. No, it's like. <laughs> Who's going to be there to make the, the big play? All I know is that on the outs, like, are we okay to flip to the other side, Jeff? Or do you have any? Yeah, no, no. We're, I mean, we're, okay. we, we flipped already to this to I, Buffalo offense. I love it. Cause what I'm looking at is on the outside, there's no way that these corners are covering Dicks and Davis. I, I just think that, listen, they've been opportunistic and that's great. You're not going to stop this. And at the same time, you're not stopping Josh from running. Man, this guy's a beast. If he plays on and doesn't do – I'll never forget. I know I talk about it probably too often on the pod, but one of my favorite jo- uh, Josh Allen plays of all time was in the playoffs a couple of years ago when he pitched it like 40 yards downfield yeah. to a running back and he didn't catch it because he was like, what the fuck's going on? And the other team got it. As long against as the Colts that, like three years ago? <laughs> it might have been, yeah. And so anyway, without all that, the point is, is that you have two great receivers on the outside – you finally have the line there, like you were talking about, Jeff, and, and you finally actually have Dawson Knox coming on. How many touchdowns he had straight in a row? Four or five games in a row? 
for the touchdown. Yeah. So yeah, he so got me to my the, third place game in fantasy. There we go. So the point is that in the red zone, you're gonna have him. You're gonna have him throughout the whole field in the middle. Given the Bengals have good linebackers, like they're they're middle of the back ends coverage against tight ends, but they're also um, pretty athletic. So I'd say it matches up well. I'm just like play action has a big effect on that rating, but on the outsides, when you're just lining up and gunning it, I'm trusting this, this bill's offense. And I don't think if you guys are thinking the under, it sounds like you both are kind of there. I know Jeff, you are. I'm interested to see what you think about the spread, because if I think the under hits, I think the bills blow them out. Like I think the bills are going to score no matter what, in my opinion. So I, I, this is going to be an interesting game for me. The, again, it all comes down to Josh Allen. If Josh Allen protects the ball, then then yeah, I, th- I, I do think the Bills have a very good chance of winning this game, covering the spread comfortably. Uh, I will say this. I did kind of a deep dive into Eli Apple. Eli Apple over the last couple of years has really struggled, right? And after mm-hmm. everything that happened in the postseason last year, he kind of became – and stuff with him and Tyreek Hill going back and forth, he's kind of been an easy scapegoat. His numbers are better than you think. They he really actually he's played better this year than than people have given him credit for. I'm not sitting here yeah. saying he's, you know, he he's Sauce Gardner, right? But he's actually played better than people yeah. think. I mean, go listen to week 8 and tell me I didn't say that. But an apple a day keeps the touchdowns away. That's all I'm telling. You. I don't know. I mean, PFF has 109 out of 120. Like, I know he doesn't maybe it's the tape, maybe it's the big plays, but uh he definitely doesn't look as bad as you probably would think, but to your point, he's one of those magnets. Whenever he messes up, everyone's like, ha, Eli Apple messed up. His, no his rep- you yeah. yeah. You his always reputation, are his reputation precedes him for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the other thing that actually gives me comfort here when talking about Cincinnati's defense, besides the fact that I think their, their, their defensive line is up there as I would say is probably probably top three left in the postseason. Uh, I would put them right up there with San Francisco and Dallas. I think Philly's number one. I think it's hard to debate that. But then San Francisco, Dallas, Cincinnati, I think they're all kind of on that same level because they're just they're, – they're four deep across the front of guys who can disrupt. For me, what gives me comfort is the back end of this defense. Jesse Bates is, I I think, is one of the top five uh, safeties in all of football. And Von Bell has also been playing really, really good football. Trey Flowers. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, so I, I, and Trey Flowers is questionable coming to this game. Um, they also have Dax Hill, who they've used as a safety, but they've also used him, the rookie out of Michigan. They've used him down as like a slot corner before too. And he plays, because that's what he did at Michigan. He played really, he, really well there. Yeah. Um, and he drops into, into run coverage, like a, like a wide, uh, a will linebacker. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he's somebody who's going to have a really bright future in the NFL. He plays and don't take this the wrong way people. Cause I know people will. He he's kind of cam chancellor ish. Like obviously a very, very light version but that guy who can kind of drop down, play a little bit of outside linebacker, play the slot corner, but also if you started him at safety. And again, he's a rookie. So, like, I'm projecting from based off of what we've seen from him. But he, that's what his skill set allows him to do. He just needs – That's a Jonathan Sutherland veto. <laughs> that's what he does. <laughs> um, but I, I, I feel comfortable with the back end of that defense. Even though it is Eli Apple, I know that between Von Bell and Jesse Bates – He's going to get help over the top, which I think is is pretty important. Um, all right. So with all that being said, let's get to the spread. Cincinnati at Buffalo, minus five and a mm-hmm. half. 
Uh, Scotty, start with you. Where are you leaning? Uh, I hate uh, when I read things dyslexically, dyslexically, uh, because the Bills are really good against the spread after they've given up 30 points. But uh, my pick is my pick, and I'm going to stick with it. I think the Bengals are able to do enough in the passing game and enough on defense to limit Josh Allen. I think they cover the spread. I think this game is really, really close, though. But I, I do think the Bengals cover the five and a half. Bengals 12 and five against the spread. Bills are seven, eight, and one. You know, I love a good tie. So in the playoffs here, I, listen, I think at home with everything going on with Buffalo, they're, they're getting healthy on the offensive line. I think this is going to be Burrow's time to go out there and get it done. Or I'm sorry, I said Burrow. Uh, what I mean is Josh Allen to go out there and get it done. No, you're right the first time. And, and I think the Bills are going to go cover, win and cover. And, um, you know, I'm super excited for this game, I have to say. Um, this is probably the game I'm looking forward to the most just because of the quarterbacks in it. So you're taking Buffalo minus four or five and a half. Sorry. Um, all right. Josh Allen, five interceptions in his last five games. Three fumbles over that stretch. Eight turnovers in his last five games. I think we have a similar game to what week 18 was against New England. I think emotions are going to be high off the bat. I think DeMar Hamlin makes his announcement. I think I think Buffalo gets out to a lead early. And I think Joe Burrow does what he does. I think he finds a way to bring this game back. I think the Cincinnati's defense tightens up. And I think it comes down pretty close in the fourth quarter. I'm thinking like a 27 to 23 type game. Mm. And I like Cincinnati to cover, but the Buffalo Bills win in advance to the AFC Championship game. I'm taking Cincinnati to cover the seven, the five and a half, but Buffalo wins and moves on. Uh, and let's continue now. The last game of divisional the divisional round playoffs. Your San Francisco 49ers, Scott, Scotty, hosting the seemingly red-hot Dallas Cowboys. Uh, right now, the Niners, four-point favorites. I said it on Tuesday's Wednesday's pod that the Cowboys seem to be the perfect, the team that played a little bit too good team in the first round. Uh, they've also been incredibly volatile all year. So we have no idea what version of Dallas we're going to get. And we have San Francisco, the wonderkin, right? We got rookie. Mr. Relevant, Brock Purdy, 6-0, and averaging like 30-something points per game. Iowa State legend, as Scotty shows his Iowa State koozie that I'm pretty sure he <laughs> just ordered on Amazon this past week. No, I've had it for two years, man. Uh-huh. That's a, Yeah, that's what he wants you to think. Don't believe you that. You see, I, I had just, it on uh, on my yeah. beer when You've we watched the Purdy tournament last since year. Since his sophomore year, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure, Scott. Let me see that Amazon history, all right? Jesus. I, I'll show it to no. you. You're going to be surprised note, by the amount of photos on there, but it's fine. I know if you want to get to know somebody, be like, look at, let's show each other our last 10 Amazon purchases, and you're going to get to know someone really well. It's a let's, good icebreaker for that first date. That, that is. There you go. Any, any single guys or girls out there, pitch that out. See, what, see, what, see how that works out. And let us know how it goes. Some life advice here on the read option. Uh, but all that being said, uh, I'm really curious about this game, mainly because it feels like the most unpredictable of all of them, mainly because, I mean, a big part of that is Dallas, right? Dallas has been Jekyll and Hyde all year. 
Are we, are we going to get Dr. Jekyll? Are we going to get Mr. Hyde? What are we getting here? Uh, and in the same breath, when is this rookie seventh round Mr. Irrelevant quarterback going to come back down to earth? Because so far, he's gotten the lucky breaks. He's made the throws, even by this, if it's by the skin of his teeth. I am so fascinated to see how this game goes. It's going to wrap up the divisional round. Dallas, San Francisco. And look, I, I do want to add this here, too, before we get into this game. I think what makes this weekend in particular so amazing in this year, um, every single game is something absolutely electric, right? Every matchup, Jacksonville and Kansas City, it's the upstart. It's Dougie P against the mentor and, and Andy Reid. They've been together for 30 years, going back to when Doug Peterson played in the NFL. For and Trevor Andy Lawrence Reed, against Mahomes. Right? And then you have Trevor Lawrence against Mahomes. It's the young upstart team number one overall pick to all of a sudden they're in the divisional round of the playoffs against the consistent world beater, Kansas city chiefs Saturday night. You got division giants, Eagles, NFC East, Northeast battle, right? Love that. And then we have Bengals bills, the DeMar Hamlin story, everything we already know about that matchup. And then we end it with this absolutely legendary matchup. That was essentially the 1990s were defined by these two teams. Oh, yeah. Cowboys, Niners. Scotty, the floor is yours. You take us whatever direction you want to take us in, bud. Dude, you're, uh, dude that 90s reference was, was so keen because that's what I grew up watching was these matchups between these two teams. Oh. And, yeah, the, the, uh, the Cowboys won three of those Super Bowls. Niners won one. Uh, but I remember uh, a Super Bowl in my lifetime that uh, that was before the 90s. So the joke's on the rest of you. You're before old. you even cons- yeah, I know. Before you even consider the matchups here, though, the Niners have an extra day of rest because they played the first game on Saturday. And the Cowboys uh, are going in- on less rest into the- their fourth straight road game. That's even before you consider the matchups. So, I- look, I- I'm... I'm as, as hyped up as a football fan for this matchup to be the matchup it is. I was the, the same way it was in the, uh, in the wild card round last year when we played them on the road. Um, but, man, if these are not two different teams from, from, uh, from what they were last year when they met in the playoffs, I don't know what are. Because as good as the Niners were and they got to the NFC Championship game on that run, they didn't have Christian McCaffrey. They didn't have Brock Purdy, a quarterback. And for for Dallas, it's like, who is the weapon? They traded away Amari Cooper, who was their best weapon. They still have Dak, who's there, but the defense was, I think, better last year than it was this year. Uh, and so, you're right, man. This is this is a real like toss toss a a, a coin in the air, uh, and I think that's reflected in the line. That's it's uh, what four, I believe, is the spread. San Francisco's uh, four um, point favorite at home. Yeah, I, I listen. We all know where my allegiances are. I, I, I don't think well, I, I mean, have to, the, to dive into. I mean, I think you're 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 giving a, a very political answer, which is rare of you, um, coming from the guy who who was as uh, Homer as Homer gets when we filled out our playoff bracket here. Uh, so well, get, that doesn't and, mean I'm not going to think the same thing. Well, then give us give us your confidence meter, scale of one to ten. How confident are you? Nine and a quarter. Wow. There it is. Yeah, very political answer based off a nine and a quarter. I love the quarter. Love a two-five in there. I love the hook. Yeah. Yeah, right, (laughs) right. 
God. You <laughs> I love a good betting. hook. You, yeah. I know you've been betting. I, I love it when you throw out a quarter. <laughs> uh, yeah, show me, show me a line with a quarter hook. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Look, I look, I, I will come fishing this, with me. This game, though, honest, honest to God, if the Cowboys play their best game and the Niners play their best game, it still kind of feels like a toss-up. Like, I, because that's the thing. It's, it's what version of Dallas are we going to see? Dallas went, what was it nineteen ninety three? was the last time that they had won a road playoff game since oh, bef- maybe, yeah. uh, since before Correct. last week against Tampa Bay. So one road playoff win since 1993, before I was born. That's how long we're talking. Oh, God. Yeah, there you go. Another way to make you feel old, Scotty. Well, the Niners <laughs> won the Super Bowl that year after So against the Chargers. So can they do it in back-to-back weeks? I honestly, I don't know. I don't know because that's been the MO of this team all year. I feel like I've, I feel like a broken record saying it over and over and over again, but when Dallas is clicking, they're up there with like the top two to four best teams in the NFL. They really are. I just, uh, yeah, I, I have Francisco, a lot of thoughts, but I don't want to but, deviate from your format here of going offense defense for San Francisco in the same play in the same vein when they play their best games the same way. So let's start with it there. Let's start with the Dallas offense. All right. Because ultimately, to me, that's where this is won or lost. Dallas's defense, for the most part, has been consistent all year. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But to me, whether they're playing, whether they're like a top five team or a team that's barely good enough to make the playoffs comes from the offensive side of the ball, and it comes from what version of Dak Prescott are we going to see. And so far in the playoffs, it's been great, Dak. Literally one week before the playoffs started, Dak Prescott looked like dog shit. And mm-hmm. by all intents and purposes – Dak has had a pretty down year, but when he's looked good, he's looked, I think, the best he's ever looked in the NFL. Him in that game against Philadelphia on Christmas Eve was the best game I've ever seen Dak Prescott play. Hands down, period, end of conversation, especially considering the stakes, the pressure, and everything else going into it. Even though they were playing a backup quarterback and it took some miracle plays in order for them to win, and he opened up the game with a pick six to a defensive lineman. Um, The question for me is, how much can the defensive line of San Francisco affect Dak Prescott? Because we know San Francisco's back end has holes. And we know that, yeah, no Mark Cooper, that's one thing. But Michael Gallup looked actually actually really good last week. And CeeDee Lamb is a, a top 10 wide receiver in football when he's on. So I, I Dalton Schultz, Jake Ferguson, they have two tight ends. And I still think Dalton Schultz is overrated. But when you have a two tight end set, when they come out in 12 personnel with Tony Pollard or Zeke in the backfield and Jake Ferguson and Dalton Schultz out there, that makes it a pretty tough team to defend. They, the linebackers, like Fred Warner, has to shut that running game down. Absolutely. If they can stop the running game and eliminate the play action stuff from Dak, and, and also, I mean, God, like they need Nick Bosa to play out of his mind. I think the benefit is that you don't have to rely on Fred Warner for that because you can let Fred Warner move around the field, do what he needs to do in the, in the run game, but let him move around the field and co- help coverage on, on some of those tight ends and then rely on Dre Greenlaw and Aziz Alshair to, to, to help stuff some of that run game. So you don't have to be – Fred Warner doesn't have to be the guy in the how, linebacking court. How aggressive do you think D'Amico Ryans is in this game? Because he's been he's been aggressive pretty much all year. I think, I love I think very. I, I and I think I think one of the why you would be is because you're good giving up the big play uh, 
to to CD Lamb. It's a it's a similar concept to to what we played last week against Seattle, right? DK Metcalf may or may not beat you, uh, or may or may not beat Traverius Ward one on one. If he does, great. Limit everything else in front of you, um, and and you'll be okay. And I, and I think that the Niners are capable of that, especially in the second half where they don't let let up any points and they get after the quarterback after they wear down the offensive line. And, and again, between that and letting Fred Warner do both uh, coverage on either a slot receiver or um, or a tight end, and then letting Dre Greenlaw and Aziz Alshair do do some of the dirty work on the on the run game. Or flip-flop among the three of them. I don't care because all three can do a, a lot of similar things. I, I think you're in good shape. So for me here, what, what I'm interested in, though, is that, like, yeah, I, I agree. But also, those corners are great at tackling. Like, th- this is a good run-stopping team, and I think that's going to be the difference. Tony Pollard is great. And if they can get him go, obviously, this offensive line, Zach Martin, like, th- there are some good pieces. It's not what they were four years ago, but they're still a very good line. Schultz is still a good blocking tight end. I, I, what I'm interested to see is can Pollard actually get it going? Can Zeke get it going? Because I think this Niners defense is going to absolutely wrap that up. And I think if they turn it into a, hey, Dak, you got to beat us game. I, like, that's just how Which, I can see it going. Is that Dak's yeah. going to have to air it out and it's going to turn into a game at the end because I, I believe in Dak and I believe in this offense. I don't believe in Mike McCarthy. I believe in the players. And what I'm and I think that's kind of going to be the difference on this side is, is McCarthy going to adjust and actually hit San Francisco in their very few weak points, maybe running up the middle, uh, maybe outside on the right side against Lennar, but you got to do something quick and you got to do it fast. And I don't think it's going to be from the backfield running with Tony Pollard every single play, but no, you need to establish because, that early. And if you don't, you could get in trouble. Yeah. And, and we said, at the beginning of this week, credit to the Seahawks because that's what they did. They played their best offensive line game the entire season, and, and Kenneth Walker was able to get moving really quick. It got shut down real quick in the second half. So I'm not sure that it needs a, a quick start, but, but again, the Cowboys are a different animal. The Niners' defense gives up an average on the season of 79 on the ground. At home, they only give up 66.5. So for an offense that's centered around getting Tony Pollard and Zeke involved, early to, to get their offense cooking, I, that's going to be really tough to do for them. It, well, so, and I think, I think you're right, Scott, but I also think it comes down to what Vito said, which is like, it's not a matter of like, I think they can, do it. no, they have to do it. Like I, everyone lauded Dak Prescott last week, 305 yards played a, a borderline flawless game against Tampa Bay. Uh, Dallas also ran for 130 yards in that game. Right. And that wasn't yeah, just against the like, team that gives up 125 a game in Tampa Bay. A hundred percent. And you look at the games where Dax played really well this year. Look at the game against Philadelphia, right? The Eagles struggled, struggled to stop the run in that game. I think the Dallas ran for like 150 yards. That opens up everything else for, for Dak Prescott. If you force Dak to be the only, because the reason those little slout, you know, those 25 yard run up the seam, passes to, to Dalton Schultz and Ferguson and those those tight end seam routes that um uh, uh oh god Kellen Moore loves to call mm. up and dial up he loves to do that off of either play action or after they pick up a big run game right in the in the one on the opening drive or I guess it wasn't the opening drive but the first drive that Dallas scored on it was a 12 yard run by Tom, Tony Pollard next play 
play action, step up, delivers a strike, 25-yard pickup down the seam to uh, Dalton Schultz. Like, the more that, that they do they, that is, is going to be how dangerous it is. But they're not going to be able to do that if San Francisco is able to stop the run. Or it's going to be able to do it more difficult. They're not going to be able to do it at all because of, of uh, uh, Hufanga. Because he, he can do both things too, right? He'll drop in and stuff the run, and then he'll be out in, in coverage on one of the – helping in coverage on one of the, the tight ends or slot receivers. So I mean, oh, look, Ofanga, he made an all-pro team. I, honestly, I don't think he's the best safety on that team. He'll get a turnover this game. You watch. He's a playmaker, and I love that about him. He's got that – like he's like Palomalu light, right? Not just because they're both Polynesian. Like – and because, they train together. Yeah, but like because he has that like aggressive safety style of play that we just don't see a whole lot of anymore. Uh, and yeah, he will get dropped. And, and if he's matched up against Dalton Schultz or whatever, when they drop him into the slot, that's probably a better matchup for San Francisco than it is for Dallas. They have to generate pressure and they have to stop the run first and foremost. If Dallas is able to run the ball in this game, or if if more importantly, if San Francisco bails out and is too worried about getting beaten over the topic they did against seattle last week and like after what we just saw dallas do i think it could be very problematic uh for the san francisco defense i don't think that's, that's gonna happen but i yeah. think the number one priority for this team has to be stopping the run like if you shut out the run on this team and force Dak to be the sole reason and and, and again so much of Dak's success in the last game came off of play action came off of the threat of the run and tampa bay's inability to stop the run which opened up so much for him in the passing game that all of a sudden they'd split out with three wide and their tight end dropped in the slot. Boom. Send them down the, send them down the seam, work the play action off the zone read, hit him for 25 yards. They did that. It seemed like four or five times in that game. Anytime they needed a big play. Uh, and, and I think you're also banking too here. If you're San Francisco on the fact that you're going to be able to force Dak into turnovers. Uh, San Francisco is going to very has done a very good job this year of forcing turnovers against their opponents, and they're going to have to do that. They have to get into Dak's head because the second that Dak has bad games, it unravels. Now he's had those like last second fourth quarter comebacks that like he did against Houston, but for the most part, when Dak has his bad games, it's because it starts off bad and it starts to get worse from there. But even still, against Philadelphia, he has that pick six on the opening drive to Josh Sweat. And he came back and had the best game yeah. I think I've ever seen him play. So that's going to be tough. So have a late turnover. Um, that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk about the other side of the ball here, um, because this is, I think, going to be the toughest test that this San Francisco offense with um, uh, with Brock Purdy has had to face. And to me, it comes down to a very simple uh, question, which is how does Dallas decide to deploy Micah Parsons? Because there's two schools of thought, and one of them is the one I've heard most commonly by a lot of really smart NFL people. Uh, and the other one is also a valid argument, but I think knowing the context of you're going up against a rookie, seventh career start, playoff game to get to the NFC Championship game, do you send Micah Parsons as a pass rusher the entire game, or do you move him around, let him drop into coverage, let him be a part of the run-stopping game, let him match up against Christian McCaffrey as the best athlete on the field? Uh, my opinion, you have to send him on the on the pass for us every single snap. You Especially off the right side. Yes. 
and, and they're going to move him around because they always do. But he has yeah. to be I, a pass rusher. Ninety. But you're not going to you're not going to match him up one on one against Trent Williams. <laughs> no, you're not. But I mean, he's going to get in those situations, and I think you're gonna, you're okay with that. But the point is, I, I like it on the other side. I also like up the middle. I really do. I think it's going to be different this game. I Great also call. like and, and not even from that position. I mean, like stunting, he might go right over the center a couple times. I think we're going to see a lot out of him. I could see him lining up middle linebacker a few times, almost Van Der Esch offset and him coming up the middle. But I think that the difference on this side of the ball, you have Parsons and you have all that. But to your point, if this is Tom Brady, you're putting him on Kettle and McCaffrey and kind of figuring out where the matchup is against Purdy. I think you got to take your shots. And, and to your point earlier, Jeff, about just, how good this team is. They're finally playing. Let me tell you something about both these teams. San Francisco, well, let's start with the Cowboys. The Cowboys have the 29th strength of schedule in the NFL. Hmm. San Francisco has 32nd. So they haven't hmm. played, like, when you look at the whole thing in terms of record and what it is now in strength of schedule, at the point is this is probably what some of the best teams they played against each other. And, and uh, when we get to the picks, we'll talk about the history of these two teams, but Obviously, that's baked in. What I think is going to happen here on this specific side of the ball is we're going to see one of those guys, McCaffrey or Kittle, have the chance to make some plays. And and IU can Samuel like the, the offensive like embarrassment of riches that this Niners team has is going to. It's just too much for Dallas. It's pretty. Rush can't cover either McCaffrey or Kittle, in my opinion. And and you're going to have a couple guys in the secondary. I don't mind some of the secondary players from Dallas, I think they played well as a unit, but against these athletes, I just talked about, I mean, Ayuk, the fact that Ayuk's the fourth guy mentioned, and he might be the fastest of them all is just the most ridiculous thing when you're talking about NFL teams that happens sometimes with a third and fourth receiver, but not a guy like Ayuk. And, and this team, uh, I, I just think there's no way that the Cowboys can line up against them. I mean, they, they do have a solid knicker corner in court curse, and I just still don't think that anything that they do is going to be able to handle both McCaffrey and Kittle in the middle, and then Samuel on the outside in Ike. Like, I, I just don't see them being able to do it. So to your point, Jeff, you got to get pressure. You absolutely have to get pressure if you want anything to happen. And the problem there is that Purdy's actually been amazing against the rush against under pressure, yeah. his passer rating is 97.1, which is Dax's 74. Point is, is that he's played well. Let's see if this continues. So I think almost the key to the game in a roundabout way is Purdy's ability to get the ball out under pressure and be accurate. And and part of that is decision making because you're, you're both right. And, and what I wrote down is exactly that. Go ahead and press Michael Parsons and, and let him pass rush. We got CMC. Uh, Debo, uh, Kittle uh, on on a short route or or Ayuk on a, on a short route. Go ahead and pass rush. And if you don't want to pass rush, go ahead and guard one of those guys because three of the other four will be open too. Because you don't have the the Vander like you said, Vito Vander Esch can't guard one of those guys in the in the middle of the field. And then in the secondary, you're depending on Trayvon Diggs to make a big play. Uh, Travion Martin is sick. He may or may not play. Who knows. Uh, Travion Mullins, I'm sorry. Um, and so, so, so pick your poison really is, is the name of the game there. But again, if you pass rush Micah, which I anticipate they would, what, what's the, what's the defense against that for Kyle? Just go ahead and run the West coast offense that your dad created. 
Uh, so like just run the short slant routes that they've been doing. They did I, this in the comeback against, uh, against the Raiders a couple of weeks ago. I can also see very much uh, this scenario in particular playing out. They struggle against Micah Parsons. They struggle against the pass rush early in the game. They keep in Kittle to give extra support on the offensive line. And they start running a 21 personnel with Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, and then Debo. And because Elijah Mitchell came back and looked good last week, people yeah. are going to already forget about him. Debo, yeah. Brandon Ayuk, you line up McCaffrey in the slot. You still have Elijah Mitchell there in the backfield. And you let Kittle be your, your you know, your, your saving grace there to help the offensive line when it needs it most. And, and I think. And- it- and I you can line them up to too, that, and then man. and then run them out I mean, yeah. as a as a I pass mean, catcher. I, I think it's Kittle and Uschek, right? I mean, that's the beauty of having a guy like Uschek, right? An extra chip. I also wouldn't be shocked if they option Micah Parsons a lot in this game, right? Add in this, and not like the Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson style QB runnings type of option, but have him be the option guy, right? Where Purdy's decision to throw will come down to one or two guys. If there's one thing I know, Kyle Shanahan's going to scheme something up in this game, uh, which gives me a lot of faith in the San Francisco 49ers. And so with that, Vito, we'll start with you. Dallas at San Francisco, the Niners minus four. Who do you have winning this game? And covering the spread, I should say. Yeah, after looking at both sides of this, um, listen, in my mind, there's a clear answer here, but I want to go in the series real quick. Right now, the Cowboys lead the all-time series 19 to 18 and one. Um, They both have 19, that's Debo's number. (laughs) (laughs) They both have five Super Bowls. About to be six. Um, uh, And, you know, we have the start of a legendary, like, listen, Dallas obviously was great in the 70s and then then in the 90s. But in the middle there in the 80s, people forget they were still pretty damn good, but – Joe Montana started coming out. They had obviously the catch in 81. They've had these historic, like that's one of the most iconic plays in NFL history. The anniversary was just a couple, couple or last week, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was that game. And and, and anyway, they they end up, but when you're looking at all of this, these teams, fans that are 60 years old are going to be like, fuck that team. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of rivalry we're in a classic football rivalry. Um, I'm glad both these teams are finally like good again at the same time, because it's been a long time since these teams met, you know, the playoffs. But what I do love about this is that I think this series is going to get evened up. I think the Niners win, it becomes a 19 to 19 to one series. And I also choose the Niners to cover. I think they have enough to get it done. Those weapons are too much. Uh, I'm with you. I'm wrong with the Niners minus four. Uh, I was my very, guys. I love I was, you. Oh fuck you! <laughs> I was very close to. Uh, I was very close to um, to taking Dallas here, and, and not just to cover, but to win. And then I reminded myself, it's Mike McCarthy in a really important game, and do I trust <laughs> Dak to put together back-to-back games? In my mind, the Cowboys have the exact same quarterback that they had during the 2000s, who choked in every playoff game. They, he'd win one or look good in one and choke in the next, and that's Tony Romo. Dak is just the second coming of Tony Romo, and uh, I don't see the Cowboys pulling off a good game. I think Dak turns the ball over a few times, and somehow, despite – I think this – I will say, I think this will be Brock Purdy's worst game, but I do think that the Niners find a way to pull it out and win by a touchdown, so I'm taking the Niners. 
Yeah, and it doesn't have to be his best game. This is what I I said last week. Even it's you don't have to be the hero if you're Brock Purdy, right? Mm-hmm. This is, you know, it it comes down to two things for me. You don't have to be the hero if you're Brock Purdy. You've got enough offensive weapons around you that that will work for you. And we saw that a lot in the second half last week. And and, and secondly, it's the it's the thing that that Jimmy Garoppolo, for as good as he was in one games. Uh, wins games he's got that little element of him that it's like i have to be the hero so let me throw this 70 yard bomb to emmanuel sanders and overthrow him by two yards to lose the super bowl um anyway we we digress the cowboys are four and four 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 and one on the road against the spread uh and they're coming into their fourth straight road game with less rest the niners are eight and two against the spread at home this season eight and one at home as favorites with an average point cover of ten and a half in those 10 wins and you're only laying four at home. So the margin between how much the Niners average covering by is 10 and a half. And the spread here is four. That's a touchdown. You're giving me a touchdown at home. Basically it's Niners all day. I will add those, uh, those, the games that Brock Purdy has started. Well, including the one he came into against Miami, it's Miami who just fired the defensive coordinator. Tampa Bay, whose defense we know has a lot of holes. Seattle twice, once in the regular season, once in the postseason. Washington, probably the most respectable defense you've played. The Raiders and the Cardinals. Not quite the murderer's row of defenses you would hope for, but it got the job done anyway, and we'll see what version of Dallas we see. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll wrap up the show on the other side. Our picks are in. We're locked and loaded. And my uh, end of the NFL regular season review coming up on the other side, my little surprise for the boys. And uh, we'll get you going here for your NFL divisional playoff round weekend. All right, picks are in. We're ready to rock and roll. But it is our two-year anniversary. And so I wanted to do at least something that's a little fun. And what's, what's something that we often do on this podcast, right? as probably most podcasts like to do. We try not to take ourselves too seriously. We try to have fun. But most importantly, we make fun of ourselves, right? We're all self-deprecating. And we all like to look back and, and you know, we, we do these things every year. We sit around in August as we're chomping at the bits to talk about football, waiting for weekends like the one we're about to have. And we all sit down and we all think we're real smart and we make predictions. <laughs> Right. We all make our predictions as to what we think is going to happen. I've I've never made a prediction in my life. (laughs) And uh, and before the season started, we made predictions on our MVP, offensive, defensive player of the year. Teams we thought were going to be busts. my MVP. Oh, God. Teams we thought were going (laughs) to overachieve, as well as our AFC, NFC conference champions and our Super Bowl picks. So I thought it'd be fun to end the pod on our two-year anniversary with a little bit of uh, self-reflection, right? Because we can always grow, boys. We can always be better. So I'll ask you truth. both. Do we want to start with the highlights from our predictions or the lowlights from our predictions? Lowlights, baby. Let's, low. let's yeah, get yeah, dirty. Start on the low. Uh, mine's, mine's easily the worst. Drop low it low, light. Jeff. Drop All it right. my MVP pick. So the <laughs> lowlights, we'll start with you, Scotty. Our lowlights for Scotty. 
Scott's MVP prediction. Oh, God, it hurts. Your starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. It hurts so bad. Russell Wilson. That's oh. way worse than mine, even. That's amazing. That's, That's the worst one of the year. It probably <laughs> is. It probably yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, Scotty's bust prediction for the team that we thought was going, that everyone had high expectations for, but was going to bust the Dallas Cowboys. Hmm. Oh, it's going to bust, and it's going to be this weekend. Big, <laughs> this doesn't count. Big miss there. Uh, Scotty also had the Baltimore Ravens making the conference championship, which I'm not going to fault you too much for on that one, Scotty. That's yeah. not too bad. Mark There's been hurt. worse. Yeah. There's yeah. been worse <laughs> ones. There's been worse ones. Uh, and that's – other than that – oh, and, uh, yeah, your conference uh, on the NFC, you had Tampa Bay getting to the conference championship. Wasn't great. Wasn't great. Uh, Vito, your biggest bust of the year. Well, you have two, but one of them you and I share together. Uh, Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. not good. That was a rough one. That one. <laughs> that not was as bad as Russ. <laughs> no, he did some psychedelics. I was really, in, you know, going for it. But yeah, that, that didn't work out. Did <laughs> I think it was the fact that you thought he was going to win three consecutive MVPs. I remember yeah. saying that to you when we were recording. I was like, you think he's going yeah. three in a row? And I feel like you kind of like, went like, yeah. I think you were like, shit, I forgot he won two in a row. Like in your mind, yeah. <laughs> you were like, if I remember. That's going to be that, hard to do. Shit. You're like, yeah. shit, I, I'm too far in. I have to roll with this. And uh, has a rookie wide receiver. <laughs> you had uh, the Baltimore Ravens not only reaching the Super Bowl, but winning the Super Bowl. That's right. Oh, thanks, that was a fantasy pick, dude. Because you had five fucking Ravens on your team. <laughs> Listen, so what if I'm high on the Ravens? If Lamar's in, no one knows. But I will say, who, who did I have them playing, Jeff? Uh, you Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, you also had the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Conference Championship game. <laughs> yeah, which, thank you, Aaron. Which wasn't a great look, but we'll get to more of that. And then... The one that we have in common, and we'll use this as the transition because this was probably my, and you, your biggest bust was the Chargers. They made the playoffs. That's kind of playoffs. middle of the road, but the, you know, yeah, but that's, also that's considering how the wild card weekend went for, I might, I'm actually going to give you credit for that because that was <laughs> kind of a big bust. I think uh, I had them fourth in our division, and the Broncos just embarrassed us so much. I don't deserve that credit, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah, Thanks, yeah. The Russ. divisional <laughs> prediction was probably worse. Uh, and then the one that you and I shared, which was our overachieving team, which again, depending on how we define this, the Carolina Panthers. Hey, huh. second half, Jeff, right? I mean, I mean, they and they almost half, won their division. They almost won their division. They, they had a couple of close games at the end, right? They were right in it. So, I, yeah. but the firing of the head coach, the CMC trade, like there's some things in there where it wasn't a great, wasn't a great look for us. Wasn't I enjoyed the CMC enough. part of that. Great, great. Uh, they overachieved after firing the head coach and getting rid of their best player for sure. We can say yeah. that at least. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, once they made their team way worse, I mean, part yeah. of that too is we were both really high on Baker Mayfield. We yeah. both were like, Baker's uh-huh. in Carolina, like he's gonna, he, he didn't even end this, he got cut. Now, <laughs> no, yeah. now he has to get cut in his defense, but uh, and uh, and I'll say, and, and I'll say what that's probably it for the bad ones for you. Uh, for me, I uh, I had Carolina. But the one that hurts was I had Green Bay not only – well, I had the Rams getting back to the NFC Championship game. Oof. That was tough. Yeah. Um, but I had them <laughs> – <laughs> Rams. 
but I, I had them. them. I had them losing to the Green Bay Packers, who I then Oof. had going Oof. on to win the Super Bowl. Oh, uh, not a good NFC. At least See, my teams made this, the playoffs. Well, you just, it, no, in Jeff's defense, I remember this because we were going through all of this, and you just didn't want to pick the Eagles because you would jinx them. I did because I remember I picked them, and you were like, "I can't do it." And I was no. just like, "All right, man." Well, I also, I also, I mean, I didn't think the Eagles were going to be as good as they were. I absolutely, I didn't think the Eagles were going to be as good as they were. So, of course, you, know, you didn't. You're from Philly. I, I thought they'd win the division, is what I had them winning the division. But I, I, I did not think they'd be good enough to get to the Super Bowl, and and they still might not be. We'll see. Uh, yeah, so Green Bay winning winning that was that was a rough one. That was a rough one. Um, also, shout out to your friend George uh, Vito, who yeah, he had that prop bet on the in week one, um, but it was Baker to throw four interceptions. Obviously, that was wrong, but credit to him for at least like na- kind of nailing the Baker Mayfield thing, which I think all three of us we were all on board with Baker. Uh, your buddy George called out called that one well. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll roll with that. Uh, Russ and Aaron Rodgers for MVP. Those are probably the two worst, but I'll say this for the other stuff. We probably weren't that too far off. And so let's get to some of the ones that we actually did pretty well. All right. Um, Scotty, your offensive player of the year prediction was Christian McCaffrey. Now, of course that was Christian McCaffrey on Carolina, not San Francisco. He's not in the running, but there's been worse picks. Uh, I'll take, I'll take the uh, Lombardi trophy. That's fine. Uh, Vito, your offensive player of the year prediction was Patrick Mahomes, who is probably going to win the MVP. Uh, So you were right Mm. around that. And then mine, which I think is uh, there's one for defensive player of the year that was right up there. But I had Justin Jefferson, which I I think I think Justin Jefferson is probably actually going to win offensive player of the year. I I think I think he's going to end up winning it this year. Uh, Defensive player of the year. Uh, I had I nailed this one. I had Micah Parsons, uh, which, and the first six weeks of the season looked great um, because my well, that's just said my MVP prediction was Josh Allen, so I had Josh Allen, Justin Jefferson, and Micah Parsons, and I was kind of all around it. So I was I was I was right there. I feel pretty good oh, about yeah. those predictions, though. Uh, I think Justin Jefferson's the only one that has a chance to win Offensive Player of the Year. Vito, you had Joey Bosa, who yeah. was playing great, but then he got hurt. So I'm not going to blame you for that. And then Scotty definitely nailed his. He had Nick Bosa winning defensive player of the year. And that does seem to be the most likely outcome Um, for our, our bus teams. uh, Scotty had Dallas, which I said, Vito, you had the chargers. I had Tampa Bay, uh, which wasn't wrong, but also wasn't fully right either. They were a disappointment from what we thought going into the season, right? I'll give you the point. Yeah. Their over-under was at, like, I think 11 and a half, and I had them being a bust. They obviously hit the under, eight wins, if, losing. Yeah, if you have a losing season, I f- like a losing record, I feel like you get that. Yeah, from I, a and Super win your team, division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a half point. I'll give myself a half point for that one. Yeah. Um, and then overachieving, I said Scott, uh, Vito and I both had Carolina, but Scotty picked the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hey. Huge win for Scotty. I told you, Will. I love you, buddy. <laughs> he was all in. From before week one, uh, conference championships in the AFC. Scotty had Buffalo beating Baltimore, so Buffalo still a lot. Mm. Uh, Vito, you had Baltimore beating Buffalo, mm-hmm. all right? So they're there, and then I had Kansas City beating Buffalo, Oof. which we'll find out in a week in or Atlanta, two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in Atlanta. I even had that in Atlanta. I said, there's yeah. gonna be. There's going to be some crazy shit I mean, that you, happens. You said in week field. 17, so. <laughs> um, 
And then uh, extra so, credit points. <laughs> so I think, I mean, I'm the only one with both teams still alive. So I'll give myself for a sure. point for that one. Uh, the NFC predictions, Scotty had San Francisco over Tampa Bay. Get, Scotty's close. consistent, if nothing else. Uh, Vito had Philly beating Green Bay. I, I have I have that as a big win for Vito. Taking Thanks, Philly. And look, we'll see, again, we'll see. They got to get it to the AFC, the yeah. AFC championship first. And then I was a massive whiff, like I said, Green Bay over the Rams. Whew, that was that was bad. <laughs> that was that's uh, that's not looking good. AFC Oof. I nailed. NFC not even close. Uh, and then our Super Bowl predictions. Scotty has the 49ers beating the Buffalo Bills. That's still oh, alive. that's weird because I had Niners and Bengals in our uh, bracket here. Yeah, I was I I didn't mention that. I was curious what you're gonna do. Um, Vito had Baltimore beating Philly. So at least Vito has a chance to get at least one team right in the Super Bowl. Uh, and then I had the Packers beating Kansas City. Uh, so, Ooh, you know, yeah. <laughs> could at least have a chance to get somebody in there. But, you know, look, like I said, want to hold us accountable when we go through this stuff. Um, uh, but it's also fun just to laugh at ourselves and, and have a good time. Um, everyone, Ross, in- dude, what a bad pick. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's rough. Some of the, the NFC Rams Packers is probably the lowest though, but the Russell Wilson one, I think the Russell Wilson, that's the biggest. That's- yeah. That's easily. Yeah. <laughs> biggest I'm not even going to fight you on that. Oh, <laughs> uh, the worst part is like, it's not even like I'm making fun of you. I'm making fun of myself. Cause it's my fucking I know. quarterback. Yeah. It makes it so much and, worse. And that's the thing is I can fall back on my team being two wins away from a Super Bowl championship. So <laughs> it's not great. Not great, Bob. Uh, three wins away, by the way. Um, oh, sorry, math. Uh, but again, everyone enjoy the uh, divisional round. I think it's the best weekend in football of the year. Uh, I have my schedule clear. I will be in front of the couch for a minimum of 13 hours this weekend, and I cannot wait. Um, but I do want to say again, thank you so much to everyone who's been with us. We haven't done like an over two hour long pod in a while. So here you go. I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you so much. Sincerely, two years down. Looking forward to many more. Um, it does feel like just yesterday we had we started this and then we had our one year and our hundredth episode and now here we are, 172 episodes in, and uh, I'm two years. Um, so thank you sincerely, everyone who's who's been along. Uh, once football season ends, you know we're going to keep rolling. We got Masters, we got NCAA tournament. We're going to do an NBA preview pod, uh, a midseason preview pod, I should say, uh, coming up here soon. But um, sincerely. Thank you. The support means a lot. Better things coming in year number three. That's all I can say. We got more and more coming, uh, and uh, I'm really excited. So everyone have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the divisional round. If you have a team in the fight, good luck to your boys, and we'll talk to you guys. With uh, Next time you hear from us, we're going to know a lot more, and Scotty and I could be very happy or very angry and probably not want to do the pot. So we will uh, – And potentially we'll mortal out. enemies. Yes, yes. If – if the Eagles and Niners win, next week's going to get contentious as hell. So I think you guys are going to like that. That's if, if you're a fan of the pod, root for that outcome. Because I think next oh, week yeah. would give us a whole lot of content. So for Scotty, Vito, love you boys. Thank you for coming on. And we will talk to you guys next week. And as always, take it easy, everybody.